Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Gear Talk Podcast. I'm Janos Patelis, and with me as always, Jordan Budd is here. This week, we've got Clay Croft coming in to chat with us. Clay is from X Overland. X Overland um, is a company that's doing content around overlanding. If that doesn't mean anything to you, overlanding, just look this up on Wikipedia as they de- defined it, is uh, also known as four-wheel, di- four-wheel drive touring, self-reliant overland travel to remote destinations where the journey is the principal goal. I think that's a pretty good definition. Uh, basically, it's car camping in badass rigs that are built out to like yeah. go through, across, over. Crazier stuff, probably, than I do on a regular basis. But... Like they're pushing the limits, uh, where they're going. You can obviously go check out their, uh, they got a great YouTube channel with all kinds of, uh, cool places they've been. Um, they've done this all over the world. Um, they've g- gained a lot of experience about, uh, you know, with just like going through crazy stuff. So we figured it'd be very advantageous for us as hunters and anglers who often get, you know, drive down roads that, you know, aren't quite perfect and uh, mm-hmm. you can get yourself in situations and Clay is going to walk us through how to base, how to get unstuck. He calls it vehicle immobilization. There's two kinds. We got basically getting stuck where you can't use your wheels anymore. And then you've got mechanical immobilization where, or no, do you call it electrical? Mechanical. Mechanical and electrical? Yeah. Or was it one or the other? Breaking down. Breaking down was mechanical. Okay. And then with, uh, within that, you could have electrical breakdown or you mm-hmm. could have, um, you know, en- engine quits working 
uh, or you know, battery goes out, whatever it might be. So, anyways, we're gonna talk to him about uh, basically about getting rigs unstuck and uh, what you might need to have with you um, so that you can feel confident getting getting into you know crazier locations to go find uh, big bull elk. Yeah, White we uh, we talked about my latest vehicle immobilization a while back in a different episode. I got stuck and I pulled myself out with the wind. That's right. You ought to ask him if that's yep. what he would have done too. Yeah, I'm interested to hear about those recovery boards. He's going to talk about some recovery boards. I've not used those, but I've heard a few people that have. So yeah, it'll be a super interesting episode. I'm excited to talk to him. All right, before we get Clay in here, though, uh, what have you been up to, Jordan? Oh, this last weekend, as we recorded, it was a Memorial Day weekend. We went out and did a little bit of bear scouting. Uh, We've just seemed to have a, there's just a ton of snow up in the mountains still. Um, There was one road that usually is open at the beginning of May, and it just now opened uh, about four days ago. So um, trying to get in there, that's where we're going to do some bear hunting. So we ripped around on the uh, side-by-sides a little bit and went up some roads that were all had trees knocked over on them and we ran into snow. And so just trying to logistically get figured out where we can even get to um, this next week on this hunt. And then other than that, been spring, gosh, spring organizing and trying to break all the gear out and figure out what needs tent stakes and what needs new guy lines tied on to it and you you name it doing some fixing stuff got the the side-by-sides in getting all the clutch is getting pulled apart and cleaned and yada yada just like all the spring cleaning things for getting ready for the summer and this fall so that's what i've uh that's what we've been up to the last little bit what about you i'm making a note right now that says email chili regarding condition of crew TP because uh, you just reminded me when you talk about tent stakes and guy lines. <laughs> I was at, when we did that bear hunt, we used some of some meat eater gear for uh, our, our uh, crew tent. And uh, yeah, I was not happy with the uh, condition of it when I pulled it out of the uh, pulled it out. It was definitely not been checked since the last hunt it was went on. And I can tell you what the last hunt that TP went on was when old Clay Newcomb and Stephen Ranella. And the meat eater crew took it up to Alaska. And we had zippers that weren't working good. There's uh, burn holes uh, in it. Uh, there, the, the guy line situation was just horrendous. I mean, it's not that you can't have five different types of paracord. Um, but I mean, stuff that had been, you know, three pieces tied together and just tied in crazy locations. Like, it just wasn't <laughs> put away ready for the next person. So... Uh, luckily, we have a gear manager, and he's hopefully he'll be able to bring the hammer down on whoever's responsibility that's supposed to <laughs> and be, and bring it back to life. Yeah, no, which is great. It's easy to do on the. I mean, take you an hour, and that tent would be rocking and rolling again. But I yeah. actually, when we were just camping this weekend, doing some late season turkey hunting, uh, my seek outside Red Cliff, I'd pitched a few really bent tent stakes and hadn't replaced them. And so I was not fully secured and uh, made it through just fine. Just kind of had to be smart about which, uh, you know, which spots of my little teepee I wanted to stake down and which ones I didn't. But yeah, super, uh, super smart thing to do. 
Um, it's probably best just to buy like a hundred pack. And that way you always just have extra ones in the garage or in the truck or whatever. And, um, and all of a sudden when you, you're like, Oh man, look at that thing. Cause the bent ones, man, I've tried hammering them back and they just seem like once you <laughs> bent them once, it has been the second and third and fourth time so much easier, you know? Yeah. They say that's why you shouldn't press them in with your foot. Is because they'll bend easier if you're trying to press them in with your foot and you hit a rock or something. It'll like bend them over. Whereas if you have like another rock or a hammer or something, it'll like knock the stake through the rock. Or if the rock is impassable, then it just won't go and you have to change locations for it. But that's interesting. I, I know you've told me that before. I'm still, yeah. I'm still a little incredulous about that. Um, I need to talk <laughs> to a real, a, like a physics uh, professor. I mean, I still do it. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I still do it, but I, I've heard that you should not do that. It's better to pound. I just don't understand how it's better to pound it. I would think that even the pounding it would bend it all the same if you, if you hit a rock. Um, but I don't know. Maybe there, there could yeah. be something to it. Mm-hmm. Um. Let me see. Yeah, Memorial Day weekend for me. Uh, it's my birthday weekend, and uh, and so we decided to go turkey hunting. I was gonna do both daughters, but then and with a buddy of mine, and he's got one boy. But so the youngest said, "Well, I'm gonna be the third wheel, so I'm bailing." So luckily, we've got family in town. She was able to stay with them, and uh, we went turkey hunting. And man. It was fun, good camping, but we definitely experienced late season turkey hunting, which means that uh, I think that quite a few of the gobblers were gobbled out. That's a fun way of saying that just like they weren't playing ball anymore. We found one that was gobbling. He didn't really, he would gobble at everything, but was not interested in the coming of the call. And whether that's from pressure or just from being late in the season, hard, hard to say. But uh, so I sent the um, this young man Grady uh, on a bushwhacking mission, and I just <laughs> stayed back and would hit the box call every you know two three minutes and just see if I could get that bird to gobble so that he would give away his location. And so he and his dad, I know uh, my daughter was sleeping, and uh, he and his dad were just sitting there chilling, chit chatting, kind of glassing over to where we had seen the bird go, and kind of took a little while. And after a while, we're wondering, man. Wondering what's going on. Is he on him? Is he not? We hadn't heard the bird gobble in a while. So I hit the box call and I got him to gobble, I think, two more times. And uh, later, Grady said, Man, I had no idea where he was. But then you made him gobble two more times and I got the beat on him and I had cover between him and I. And I just, he had to sprint across the field, get behind the cover. And this kid's pretty amazing. It, I think he's either, I think he's 12 now. And, um, He's like, I knew he was right behind this little ridge. And uh, I just peeked over that little ridge and he looked at me, but it was too late. And uh, he boomed him. So we got one bird out of the deal, but man, we Perfect. we put in some power loops. Power loops, especially for 11 and 12 year olds. Uh, I think every day we did roughly-ish. And this is basically by doing math, by counting how many steps the iPhone says you took. But we had a couple uh, 18,000 day, 18,000 step days which i think are roughly Oof. 2000 steps is a mile um that's what you find online so uh yeah do the math you know 8 9 miles and uh you know kids my daughter forgot her hiking boots so she did this all in insulated muck boots in 75 <laughs> degree weather never complain 
That was good. But anyways, we could not rustle up another gobble. Um, talked to a, two or three hens, I think, in, in two days that would talk back to me, but just couldn't get anybody to gobble again. Um, so you're left to think that it's either just over or, you know, f- you know, we don't hunt a high density Turkey area, uh, in, in mm-hmm. a lot of places in Montana. And so maybe just the drainages that you checked didn't have turkeys in them. Um, but it was tough. And again, can't say if it was, there's no turkeys or just the end of the season or what, what we did have a really cool day. I think it was the first day, six bears in one day. Six? Nice. Yeah. Like, we're sitting there hunting turkeys, looking at a beautiful little meadow. Think, man, this is, this is where I'd be if I was a turkey. Nice little strut zone. And all of a sudden, Grady is like, oh, no, we're looking there. A couple elk walk through there. There's kind of uh, like a young bull. He's got, I don't know, six inches of antlers poking out. And then there might have been a spike behind him. They kind of come trotting through all happy and we're glassing them. And then Grady says, well, look right behind where those elk just were. There's a bear. I'm like, no way. And, uh, sure enough, nice size black bear just sitting there chilling, you know, we're watching it and like, oh, this is great. You know, like national geographic, we got some elk seeing a bear <laughs> five minutes later, a big old cinnamon dude pops out right below this black one. Best we could figure probably a mating pair, right? That's what we were thinking. Yeah. They kind of they do what there wasn't anything too romantic about the encounter, but definitely the you know the the black bear did a few or the black phased black bear did a few circles and then sort of wandered off and the cinnamon colored bear, which looked the same size or bigger than the than the black one, kind of followed the same trail and then followed that black one. So we figured sound and a boar doing their thing. Well, we go around, we basically go up the ridge. They went right. We went on the left side of the ridge and we're standing, you know, over a little, on a little precipice and make a few calls. Grady walks out there a little farther and, and he's waving us all over immediately. I'm like, oh, sweet. Maybe he glassed up some turkeys. He's like, there's a bear in the top of that tree. I'm like, what? <laughs> there's no way. You just like looked over there and saw a bear in the top of this tree a hundred yards away. And sure <laughs> enough, we glass it. There's two cubs in the top of this uh, ponderosa pine. And uh, we're like, wow, that's, that's a cool deal. So again, best we can figure is that probably when that boar rolled in, that sow ran those two cubs up that tree and then, you know, just keep them safe from the boar. Mm-hmm. They went, and, you know, doing their thing. I'm guessing she's going to come back and get them. So at that point, we're like, wow, amazing day, right? Four bears. <laughs> like, I don't know, 90 minutes, two hours later, walking down another ridge and just we're on a big loop and uh uh or no we had set up we're we're calling and we look up on the hill and here comes a you know medium-sized adolescent bear kind of rolling through middle of the day all of this too and uh then again we kept hiking and later towards the end of our little loop we're walking you know down a drainage and look up on the hill and there's a medium-sized bear just sitting on his haunches and looking at us so there's a chance that that one could have been, I mean, we were within a mile probably of where we saw the yeah. one running. So we could have seen the same bear twice, but bam, um, you know, I hunted for a whole week, <laughs> two weeks ago and saw two yeah. black bears and uh, just <laughs> out turkey hunting scene six. So um, new, uh, new bear spot. 
Yeah, it could be. The, the quote is pretty low um, in this zone. I don't think it's known for having a lot of bears. The quota closes mm-hmm. pretty quickly. But yeah, I guess you could go there and and hunt them up. Um, could be fun. So Yeah. Sweet. Anywho. Well, yeah. Speaking of uh, just what we were talking about earlier, getting gear ready and stuff, for our uh, listener question this week, we had Brock Wilson send an email in, and he is asking, in the early season, or I would say in the spring season as well, is it worth taking a floorless tent just to have to buy an insert or a tarp, uh, basically just an insert, for the bugs making the floorless tent a floored tent? And I know when you when we were getting ready to go to Alaska, you did a little video on your floorless setup, and then you, you had a nest in it as well, which is basically it's a floor with a bug netting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got a few questions just like this, like, why are you using a floorless tent and then getting an insert to make it floored? You basically have a floored tent. Why, why are you doing that? What, what's your, what was your kind of take on that? Well, I think that, uh, the, uh, I'm at a loss for words here. Um, it gives you, uh, options, right? Like the, the one that I use most often is the seek outside uh, Red Cliff or the Cimarron? They're pretty much the same thing. The Red Cliffs advertises a six person, Cimarron's a four person. I think I usually drop both those down to uh, down by two. I, we've actually done our whole family mm-hmm. in the Cimarron. Um, it's just you know a little bit tighter, but um, you got to remember too with these floorless shelters, right? And, and again, options. So you have the outer shell. You can just have like the single layer. Um, then you can put in a liner, right? Just like you, just like you have two layers in most any kind of just a freestanding backpack, classic backpacking tent. Um, you're going to have condensation on your outer layer. It just happens, right? So if you have that second layer on the inside, whether it's a screen or um, like Seek Outside basically makes these very thin white liners, it gives you that protection from that condensation when you're moving around in there. A lot of times I don't run those, um, but it's there, right? Then you also have the option to add in a nest, which is like you said, it's basically just 100% mesh um, with a with the floor. That will also act sort of as a second layer as well as keeping you, um, uh, you know, free free from bugs. We, definitely when we hunt now in the spring in Montana, we're always using those nests because of of ticks, a lot of ticks around, and uh, they're the big dog ticks. So you really don't have to worry too much about what they about what they carry. But um, you know, nobody likes getting you know ticks all over them, having to having yeah. to pull ticks. So um, yes, I get once you once you do put that in there, but it's like a lot of other tents, you don't have the option to run with or without. It's kind of like it comes mm-hmm. one way as it is. Even though, even that being said. Like this past weekend, it was just my daughter and I in a tent and we had one nest set up. We both slept in there. All of our gear was on the other side of the tent. It's very spacious, very roomy. I can stand up in it, get dressed. Um, that's a huge plus for me. And and the big thing is, is that you have like your sleeping zone that can stay dry, tick free, whatever. And then your gear zone because it's floorless, you walk in there with your boots on. Let's just say you yep. come back to camp and it's it's a downpour, right? 
um, in car camping, we we had these little uh, Helinox uh, camp chairs with us, super small, kind of sit low to the ground, so they're perfect inside a, a teepee. But it's pouring rain, jump in there, open the zipper, two people get in there, zip it down. The nest, sleeping bag, all that stuff is off to the side, staying dry, and you're in there soaking wet, but you can. there's enough room that you can take off your rain gear, put it off to the side, take off your, you know, muck boots or whatever boots you're wearing, put them off to the side. And you didn't have to take the boots off before you got into the tent, right? To do that. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time, standard backpacking setup, there's a small little vestibule, but you have to sort of undo your laces as you're crawling in. And then you pop your boots off real quick, leave them under the vestibule and crawl into the main tent, right? Yep. Um, and I think that's just like that going through that motion right there is worthwhile for me to have that the bigger space of the floorless tent. Um, so you can so you can basically walk in and out. And same thing in the morning, right? You just have a lot of room to get dressed, put your boots on, your sleeping zone, all that stuff still staying super tidy, dry, clean, but you've got the space to um, you know. Uh, to de- deal with wet gear and, and dirty gear, um, and and, uh, and not, not just not feel cramped. There's so much bigger. There's so much more room. Oh, yeah, the space to weight ratio. Like you could have a a basic two man backpacking tent that caught or that weighs four pounds, and you know it's set up to where two people can stay can sleep side by side in it. And then you can have something like you're talking about, Cimarron. You can have with the nest and the pole and all the stakes and all the things. You might be at four pounds, maybe, um, but you have so much more space, especially when you're comparing it just to that little tent for two people. You can have two people sleeping a ways apart from each other, plus room for all their gear, and then plus you can run a stove with it in the later season. So that's just it, and that's just an extra. I think, folks, and sometimes too like you know in the spring you're talking about and i think sometimes in the summer at lower elevations you'll want you'll want that nest for like ticks and then there is like a bug issue there can be but in september if you're just hunting the high country like for mule deer and you're way up above alpine there's not really that many bugs up there there really isn't like it gets pretty cold at night like you're not gonna be fighting i don't know there's exceptions to everything but um a lot of times, those times, I'm just taking the I'm just taking the floorless, just the canopy with me. I'm not taking a nest, so I'm even lightening it up more yep. than that, and saving on space. So yeah, in those situations, all you yeah. really are bringing it for is is because you need shelter from rain, wind, possibly snow. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And people, I think, too, have a there's a misconception that somehow water is going to go down the tent and then just like start immediately seeping inwards uh, into this floorless shelter. It just doesn't happen. Um, maybe in super crazy wet environments, you might have to dig a little trench around the outside. Actually, we did have to do that once in um, on Prince of Wales. I mean, that's a place where it rains 11 feet a year. Mm-hmm. Um that's the only place I've ever had to do that. Um, it, uh, yeah, you can use them. And yep. sometimes if you set them up in the right spot and it's raining, I've done this on bear hunts, 
and it's still raining, but you can still, there's, they're roomy enough where you can have the door still propped open and still uh-huh. be glassing, you know, across a yep. drainage. And sure, your window of, you know, the width of your, uh, of your field of vision is a little, <clears throat> is smaller, but look, you're, you're dry and comfy inside of a tent. You're not having to sit out there in your rain jacket. You're in your tent, but you're still hunting. Um, and you're comfortable. And, uh, you know, for me, a lot of it comes down to I'll hunt harder and I'll hunt more the more comfortable I am, right? It's so yep. much easier to turn back and head to the truck when uh, you're wet, you can't get dry, you can't, come, you know, can't bring everything back to life. It's harder to keep that positive mental attitude. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Yep. And just 100% percent overall versatility. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Versatile. Super worth it. Yep. Super versatile. So we'll go through it later, I'm sure, um, when we're like digging deeper into camping stuff. But uh, yeah, I think that that covers the question pretty good. All right. You got any new and interesting gear that's come across the uh, gear desk recently? Yeah. I I wanted to talk about the the uh, the new GoPro, the GoPro Hero 11. Um, I've gotten quite a few questions like, you know, cameras and things are getting smaller and easier to like take and document your hunt and do things like that i back the last time i used a gopro i think was a hero like the hero fours and fives i think and i just wasn't ever a super big fan of them like the battery i always had battery issues um just trying to keep them charged enough and uh i decided to go back to a gopro just I actually have a digiscoping adapter on the front of it now, so I can put it on my spotting scope. Oh, cool. So, Who made that? Yeah. Uh, that is from a company called Tines Up. It's a, the scope cam adapters. Hmm. And you and find that? Yeah, even, they made, why did you do that instead of uh, instead of just running your iPhone with a Doing your and, phone? Yeah. yeah so I, I do both. Um, and some of it is because I think I have... Uh, traumatic experiences of my phone uh getting full on memory as i'm recording and all of a sudden i can't use my phone um to do that and then sometimes for me it's just really nice having especially when we're filming some of these hunts i do a lot of self-filming stuff so being able to put it have it on a dedicated camera and get a memory card out of that camera and put it onto a computer i don't know that just seems a little bit simpler to me, but, uh, and some of it, man, it was just a new, it was a new thing I saw that you could put your GoPro on a spotty scope. And I'm like, I think I should try that. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it works. But overall the go, it's been super cool. I, we took it to Hawaii and when we were snorkeling, I had it like on a little pole underwater mm-hmm. and these new ones, you don't have to have like an underwater case like you did the old ones. They're just waterproof on their own. And yeah, like sticking it underwater and we were filming fish and stuff. I don't know. It's just super cool. They've, they've, uh, they've come a long ways in the last, gosh, however many years that's been at least seven since I've, since I've tried them. So yeah, the gear, uh, the hero 11, it's definitely worth a look. Um, uh, I look forward to seeing the, uh, some content, some shots you get from mm-hmm. it. Um, we recently got to try out a bunch of crispy uh, boots, and um, yeah. I've actually been trying two. The Brickstall, am I saying that right? 
you've already tried that yeah. one. And I then the altitude. Uh, I've been trying both of them. Um, both good. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the altitude today. Uh, mm-hmm. Lightweight. Um, I don't want to say it's quite... I'm trying to think what I could compare it to. Uh, Oslo Fugitive, which has been a very popular boot with hunters over the years. The A-S-O-L-O company. Some people say mm-hmm. um, A-Solo, Oslo. Uh, they made a boot called Fugitive. Solomon has theirs uh, that's sort of like a runner hiker that a lot of people like. I think it's an XA Pro 3D like mid, maybe mm-hmm. something along those lines. It's not quite as running shoe as that boot, but it, um, and, but it doesn't have quite as stiff of a sole as that Fugitive um, from Oslo. So I, I like it for that reason. Soft soles are comfy and they're quiet. Um, mm-hmm. But then you sort of, you give up a little bit of stability and a little bit, the ability to really dig into the side of a hill. Again, being near 200 pounds, a size uh, 12 foot, uh, somebody that only weighs a buck 50, 60, 70, might not put the torsional flex into that onto that boot that I do, and is going to have and it's going to feel just fine on your foot going across, you know, going side hilling. Mm-hmm. Just the last couple hunts I've been on, I've, I've worn them a little bit, and once I got onto side hills, I definitely felt like I was just sort of, I guess, overworking the boot. I was wishing I had a little bit more. Um, just stiffness, you know, they rate it as a 2.5 out of five, mm-hmm. um, on their website, as far as stiffness of the, uh, the midsole. Um, but again, like we talked about in that podcast that we did with, uh, Kendall from crispy, yeah, right. The, it, the boot doesn't get stiffer as it goes up in size, which I think is something that boot manufacturers are going to start thinking about later. Cause obviously the, that same stiffness and the same boot for a 150 pound person, it's going to feel a lot stiffer than for the 200 pound person. That's just, you know, putting a lot more against that boot. But overall, I I would still recommend it. Um, just for me, it's probably, I think a lot of people, again, lighter people could probably use it for September elk hunting in the mountains. Um, a little bit too soft for me. I like to just have Mm -hmm. a little bit more gur in the boot and the brick stalls, very well might be uh the uh the answer to that i haven't checked what yeah. what stiffness they say about that one but i'll cover off on that uh, it's a four. Oh, it's a four okay so supposedly yeah. yeah so there you go um a good bit stiffer rating from the company that makes them um but uh yeah i think for Sweet. spring turkey hunting um you know hunting stuff that's you know not mountainous country that altitude is a sweet little boot Comes in at a pound and a half uh, per boot. So definitely, you know, I'd say it's on the lighter side. There's a lot of boots out there Mm -hmm. that are all going to come in around. Well, for my size, for size 12s, they're going to come in around two to three pounds. So anything under two, I think, per boot is um, on the lighter side. So, yeah, been happy with them. Nice. Uh, Check them out if you're looking for something that's light, comfy, easy, um, sneaky. Um, if you're going doll sheep hunting, not the boot for you. No, no. If you're you're planning on having a really heavy pack, yeah, 
probably not the boot for you either. Yeah. No. And again, if I if I knew I just had to do 10 miles on a trail all the way back to the truck, maybe I was coming back yep. for my second load of meat, I'd go heavy pack with that boot, no problem. But if I was coming off the side of a mountain, uh-uh, not, not yeah. the right boot. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll be talking with Clay from X Overland uh, about getting us unstuck. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health/meateater, but you got to use the promo code meateater. That's promo code meateater, okay? At twc.health slash meat eater you ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in you crave wide open spaces fresh air the chance to connect with the land well maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild but searching for property can be a maze that's where land.com comes in they got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want land.com isn't just about buying and selling it's about finding a place to hunt fish explore or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets so head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. All right, we're back with Clay Croft. Clay, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, tell us real quick before we jump into how to get rigs unstuck, but just tell me what, what got you into this thing that's called overlanding? 
Uh, well, I got into overlanding before it was really known, at least here in the U.S., as overlanding. That kind of came later. Mm. But so, uh, what did you call I, it when you when you got into this thing? Well, my knowledge of it at the time was uh, where most of what we would say the industry sees it now is like car camping and remote places. Um, I was I was a hunter, I was a backpacker, a climber, and so I was using my truck to go far off places and stay there and. Uh, then as soon as I had kids, I wasn't able to do the long-term backpacking and long-term hunting trips and stuff. So I was based out of my vehicle a lot more. And that's where I, I, I always liked vehicles. I always liked building trucks. Mm-hmm. So this was a natural progression for me to start working on vehicles more. And, um, and then eventually after a few years of doing that, I kind of looking around the off-road, the four by four world, I came across a magazine called Overland Journal. And, uh, I was like, oh my goodness, there's a whole magazine about this, but people travel the world by their vehicles. This is what I want to do. So that's, that's when I was really, uh, introduced to the term overlanding, Got um, it. which, which takes what we do here in the U S you know, on a weekend warrior basis to a whole new level of traveling around the world with your vehicle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you got to ship a vehicle across an ocean, uh, that's next level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. It, and that's a whole lot of fun. It's a big adventure. Um, but we learned how to do all of that by doing what we do here at home. Right. What vehicle did you start with? I started with, uh, let's see, it was a two, a 19, let me see. That's a good question. 2001 Tacoma four door and, uh, modified it up so I could sleep in the back and go, go down the road. And since then I've built almost exclusively Toyota short of a couple different trucks. Man, I would love to get into that topic, but I think we need to save, save that for a uh, for another yeah. Gear Talk podcast episode because I was noticing looking at your website that a lot of a lot of the builds are Toyotas. You guys have done a few others, but uh it's definitely um that that it's owned by the Toyota. But yeah, we'll get into that another one. Let's talk about how, how to get Trucks unstuck. I like it that you helped us build out a uh, outline for today's podcast, and you called it uh, vehicle immobilization, <laughs> which is like real fancy way. If you like called your texted your friend and said, "Hey, I'm immobilized," <laughs> yeah, like what this do you mean? How you sound smart. Yeah, are you stuck? <laughs> yes, I'm stuck. If you are stuck, yeah. Um, but you so, did say, you did say there's two kinds, and that and one is loss of traction and that's like yep. loss of traction seems like it's a very tidy you know way to call it but it's actually <clears throat> within loss of traction it's you know that's a very broad thing you know basically saying you're stuck and you're stuck because your tires are not moving forward but before we get into that the other uh i guess type of immobilization is what you called um systems right yeah. Yep. So basically your, your vehicle has life systems. It's got electricity, it's got fuel, uh, and it's got mechanical function, right? So you, mm-hmm. you, if any one of those three things breaks down, you will also be immobilized. So right. if your electrical system, your battery quits, or if your transmission goes out or a diff breaks or something like that, then you're ex- essentially stuck as well. Yep. So, um, that that topic really boils down to just 
making sure that uh, to prevent being immobilized in that way, you need to have really good maintenance. Mm-hmm. Comes down to maintenance and what we call mechanical sympathy. This is uh, something that not a lot of us were taught as kids, but like how to how to drive your car or your truck or your so that it lasts a really long time. Hmm. Or to make good decisions in the backcountry when you're going up certain routes or going down certain roads that won't jeopardize the vehicle because it's too hard on it. So you have mechanical sympathy that says, you know, I probably shouldn't do that because if I do do that, one of those systems, mechanical, electrical, uh, or fuel by chance might fail. So I shouldn't do that in the first place. And that's going to keep you from being immobilized in that regard. And then, yeah, does that make yeah, no, that's sense? that that no, that's yeah, hundred percent makes sense, and I, I like uh, mechanical sympathy. That's a great, uh, great term. I hope you guys, you guys should have a T-shirt that says <laughs> X Overland yeah. mechanical be, sympathy. Be sympathetic to your rig. Um, yeah, but yeah, before we get farther into that, let's talk about the most common, yeah, uh, w- which is loss of traction. Loss and, of traction. Yeah, and you, we, you broke it down. Into, uh, there's a bunch of different. Uh, versions of loss of traction, but uh, it looks like by your list, you sort of you, like tires are are number one. Yeah, basically, loss of traction means that you no longer have the power of the engine can no longer turn the wheels, or it's turning the wheels too easily. I suppose you know your mm-hmm. wheels are spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, loss of traction can come from your tires being gunked up being stuck in the mud. It could be due to being high centered. Uh, how many of us have gone in somewhere and drove over something and the, the frame rests down on the dirt and now the tires spin and now you're resting on the frame. It happens a lot in the backcountry, right? So there's mm-hmm. where loss of traction, no longer are your tires able to move you forward. Got it. Yeah. So th- that's really tires is where the problems start. Uh, one of the best things to prevent loss of traction is to, it seems so basic, but uh, have the right tire uh, for, for your vehicle and the environment that you're going into. So um, a lot of us could, if you hopped on a highway tire and went down into the mud, you're not going to do very well. If you're going to be on a slick, greasy road in the back of Eastern Montana, a highway tire is going to do, do you no favors. I got no. guys working on a truck in, in the background. You can probably hear that right now. <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. That's all right. It's good, good, good to know you got a got a busy shop going there. In so, fact, I think they're putting tires on. <laughs> let's so. let, let's just jump into tires. I mean, I guess you can talk about you know brands you like, but I mean, is it there's the whole how many plies a tire has, and then obviously the 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 tread pattern and tread depth. I mean, when when you're like trying to think how to best phrase this when you're looking at buying a new set of tires and you you're like like you just said you got to be buying and looking to put on this stuff for for the conditions you're going to find yourself in but that being said it seems like most of us use our truck for driving around town driving Mm -hmm. kids to school and going to get groceries for 90 some percent of its life and then there's the the little bit where you go get to have fun where you actually are putting the tires to use I mean, are you using two different sets of tires for, for something like that? Do you have your 
city tires, and then you have what you put on when you're going to eastern Montana, you might encounter gumbo? Well, yeah. So there's a few ways to approach this, and families approach it differently, I suppose, as well. So some of us only have one one vehicle that we drive. And uh, if we only have one main vehicle, that's when having a couple sets of tires is really going to be the best bet. Um, if you're doing 90, 90% of the time you're on paved roads here in town, and you're doing some highways, like a, a good highway tire is obviously going to be the most efficient for your lifestyle. Uh, but if you get off grid a bit, you're going down four service roads, you're, you're poking around in the woods a bit, maybe you could offset the benefits of the highway tire for more of an aggressive tire, which would roll you into an all-terrain. Does pretty great on the highway, does good around town, still got pretty good tire wear, but it has enough aggression to and, and stiffness and toughness that uh, you can rely on it in the backcountry, you know? And backcountry as in like little B backcountry, not, we're not driving off the roads or anything like that. That's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, I want to specify that when I say that. Um, this is, you know, the forest service getting to the trailhead or, or exploring through some mountains. Uh, the all-terrain tire is going to be a really good tire for you. It even does pretty well in the snow. Um, now, if you're going to be in more environments that are really uh, rocky, really sharp, uh, shale, uh, then you kind of want to step up into a tougher tire, which you get to usually in a mud terrain style tire. And that and mud what, terrain tile, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to oh, say, that. what exactly makes a tire tough? Sure. So a, a tire is made of compounds, of rubber compounds. And every tire manufacturer has their own chemistry of tire compounds. That's what kind of makes them, that's the science. That's the, the magic sauce between tires, you know? So like you look at a Toyo and they're really stiff. They're really, they got a lot of, um, their, their rubber's really like solid. It, their blocks yeah. are really stiff. Uh, you can go to now look at like a, any winter tire. What makes a winter tire really good is that the compound is really soft. And then when it gets really cold, it still maintains its uh, ability to flex, even though it's sitting on extremely cold ground. So, And that yeah. helps to have better grip. And if the co exactly. rubber compound is stiffer, it, it, you, you lose grip and you're sliding more. Exactly. Now, your winter tires were made of softer compounds. It's going to wear out faster. That's why you don't drive around on your winter tires all the time. They do really mm -hmm. great in the winter, but if you drove around on them all summer, you wouldn't have them very long. That's, that's why you go to a, a normal you know, street tire because the compound is stiff enough that you'll get the mileage out of it and get the, the bang for the buck. Got it. So the third tire typically is... Uh, your mud terrain tire. And that mud terrain tire will have um, a stiffer compound. It's made to spin, essentially. So uh, the, the stiffness, it's, it's designed to not chunk. You know, like if you're spinning a tire, uh, the, the rubber's not chipping, chipping uh, off when it's okay. meeting new, new surface or rocks. Uh, it's tougher in that way. And then the gaps between the lugs are wider and the whole reason that it is that way is because a tire moves you forward uh, by grabbing, especially in the mud and snow, by grabbing new material. And as it spins, it throws it out the back. And then it allows it to grab new material on the front and, and keep moving forward. 
this is a very limited situation. Like how often can you think you've been that stuck? Uh, but that's when that tire really shines. It's when you're in loose, muddy stuff. So it can throw out, out the back and grab new material on the front and keep you moving forward. Got it. And it's, um, so that's interesting. Cause I thought too, I, I didn't know that those actually start to get harder. I actually thought that maybe they, they, re, they remain somewhat supple so that that, I guess, squishiness would help you grip the rocks if you got into some sort of thing where you're like actually climbing, you know, rocks or over some boulders and stuff that that softness would help you grip, but you don't, you, you don't need that. You still need just tough and, and stiff in that situation. Well, a little of it's kind of both because, uh, when, when a tire's brand new and the lugs are really tall, mm-hmm. it's a lot softer than when you get to say like 50% of the tire wear. Okay. So your tire never performs the same day, the same exact way from day to day because your lug or your tire wear is being reduced. So as you know, if you got a brand new set of mud tires and you went to Moab and wanted to go on the slick rock, it's going to do really, really well. There's a lot of flex because the lug is really tall. It's going to grip stuff and you're going to go up the trail. No problem. Um, now, if you get down to the last, say, 20%, you're getting into the tr- tire wear indicators. There's just not enough flex. The, the rubber's still hard enough that it's a safe, reliable tire, but there's just no height anymore to give it that much more flex. That's where more siping is what it's called. Uh, the cuts and grooves into the lugs start to matter because uh, it allows it to maintain uh, traction and softness through the, the lug's life the tire lugs life. Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot to tires. I think of them like shoes. Yeah. You know, you have hunting boots that do this. You have a, you may even have another hunting boot that, you know, is for water, more water or cold temperatures. And then you've got, you know, climbing shoes to go climbing, you know, the compounds and the way they're designed do different things. So they really, isn't uh, one tire fits all. Um, If there is one, it would be the all-terrain tire. Okay, and but there's within all terrain tires. I mean, there's there's got to be at least a dozen solid tire manufacturers that oh, make yeah. a solid all terrain. But it just they they're not all created equal, right? No, and they if you were to look at a lot of them, they're going to have they all have their chart, right? Like pluses and minuses, benefits and setbacks. Uh, and if you were to really dive into what tire is best for you, you'd have to spend a lot of time researching. Bottom line, most of these tires from the top manufacturers uh, in the all-terrain world come from uh, grade A tires like uh, Continental, Michelin. Uh, so like BF Goodrich is owned by Michelin. Uh, General Tire is owned by Continental. Uh, <clears throat> all these top manufacturers of good, good tires build, get into their sub-brands, their B, B-level tires. That doesn't mean that it's a B-level quality. It's just not the top ownership. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. So, so like, hold on. But, you said BF Goodrich is owned by Michelin. So the, you're saying yeah. that the Michelin tires are, you're actually going to get a better all-terrain there than if you buy the BF Goodrich all-terrain. Uh, as far as I know, I'd have to look this up, but it, Michelin doesn't actually make an all-terrain tire that competes with BF Goodrich. Ah, uh, I see. They let their sub-company, BF Goodrich, make those tires. Got it. Because they're different markets, essentially, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the Continental and the Michelin, they, they, they spend their time 
and this is my assumption. I, I don't really know all of this for fact, but you know, they're, they're in the, the semi world. They're in the, the mass production of tires where there's a lot of rubber meat in the road. Uh, and then you, you have your sub sub brands that are dealing with a lot of the, the consumer stuff, which is us, you know, I um, see. So it's kind of, you, you, your, your assumption is, is that consumer brands and consumer tires don't make up the majority of, of their, uh, income and their business. Uh, I don't know on the revenue side. I do know when it comes to their, who they're talking to and the volume of rubber that they're having or tires that they're having to make in size. Right. Yep. Interesting. So back, back to like switching between a couple of different kinds of tires. Yeah. So my scenario right now, I have some Toyo open country MTs Mm. on my pickup right now. We're kind of getting out of the winter and we're still going to do a little bit of spring stuff. Like it's still pretty snowy and muddy up in the mountains. So I'll keep them on a little longer, but I'm starting to think about, um, getting a new set of tires, like an AT to run through, uh, the summer. And then the first part of eh, a little bit of the fall and then switch back to the MTs. Is that kind of a rotation that you would recommend? So the MTs, yeah, it's, it is a good way to go. Um, a lot of times I do the opposite. Uh, I do, I run mud terrains from spring to through the end of fall when you're going to see your muddiest, nastiest situations. Uh, Summer, you're going to see a lot of rock and a lot of dirt. So I want the toughness of it. And then when I go to winter, I actually go to my all-terrain tire because all-terrains have a better, um, they have better road manners in the winter. So they have more siping in them. They're, they're really a lot better in snow and on ice than a mud terrain is because a mud terrain has large blocks. They're, you know, a lot of contact, heavy contact patches, whereas an all-terrain tire has um, a lot more siping, the smaller blocks, less gap between the blocks, and it does a lot better in the winter. Since, since yeah. we, we'll since you've mentioned it quite a few times and, and I'm familiar with siping, uh, but I think we just like, if you can give us like the two minute version and, and really explain siping. Cause I think some people, I mean, you did say that it's the cuts in the lugs, but really go just a little bit deeper and explain siping. Sure. So siping, um, it, it is, it is just that is the amount of cuts that from the top of the lug down to the main part of the carcass of the tire uh, which allows the blocks, you know, if you think of, uh, think of an all-terrain tire, it's got all these little patches of contact patches that, uh, touch the surface. Right. And then there's group, bigger grooves in between those lugs. Well, mm-hmm. a siping will go even smaller than that. The, those cuts go into those lugs individually, and that allows the lug to have flex itself versus just being a solid piece of rubber between all. Yeah. Um, and so how does that flex so, then help the tire? So that, that it does, it, it does two things for the tire. It helps the tire stay cooler. And, uh, because there's more, um, air between it basically mm. allows the tire to cool off. And then it helps on the micro, let's see the micro traction. So all the little not grooves and bumps and, um, roughness of the surface of the road or trail, Mm -hmm. those little teeny sipings can help grab and grip on those little things. And that's why 
a winter tire has tons of siping. If you go look at uh, like a, uh, a Blizzak, Michelin Biz, Blizzak tire, it is full of little zigzagged cuts into the, into the tread. And that's mm-hmm. why it is so good in the winter. Yeah, I've heard that the siping and the and the rubber compounds of of winter tires become so good that there's there's plenty of tire shops that don't even recommend getting uh, the um, oh shoot, my lost words not not the cleats, but what do you call it? The uh, oh the studs studs right. Are you on board with that, or do you stud I'm, your winter tires? I am on board with that. So I just recently I studied a set of general all terrains, uh, they're what's they're called their grabber ATXs, and they have done they're really great in the winter. And then I, they also still provide studs, stud holes that you can put studs into. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, I I really didn't see a, a difference when I put the studs in versus when I didn't have them because the siping and the tire compounds are getting so good, uh, especially on the mo- more modern tires. In the last like five years, we've seen compounds um, get a lot better. Tires kind of, tire companies kind of run their technology for as long as they can before they have to update it. But in the last five, six, seven years, they've gone through another round of updating their compounds. And all of these tires are really doing a pretty dang good job in the winter to the point that studs have become less important. Now a stud will help you in deep ice. Like when it's really thick and it it wants to bite, that's where studs going to come in, come in Hmm. handy. And right now, like the AT, they only stud the outer corners. So like Uh. when you're turning into a corner and you're, you're trying to have, you know, traction as you turn a vehicle because you have forces acting in two directions at once then that's when the studs can bite and help make a car turn better so yeah all right uh let's uh let's get into uh we we have this note that says decision tree about how to buy when and use cases and under that we have uh plies which i definitely want to get your take on how how many plies my tires need um, and then that will take us into pricing. Sure. Well, it's kind of back to Jordan's question. Like what, what are, I'm going into a couple seasons, you know, the decision tree, what, what do I buy? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I buy and when, um, if you want to have the best winter tire, I'll just say it now. You need to buy a winter tire. Yeah. Nothing beats them. It's, it's, a speci- it's like the climbing shoe for climbing. Like you can't beat a climbing shoe for climbing. Uh, no, yeah, I, so if, if, if I can, I got a quick example of that. I, yeah. Our old house, we moved a couple of years ago, but our old house had one heck of a driveway. I mean, the kind of a driveway where I think see people went to think about looking at the house and buying it, and the driveway scared them away. I mean, it was half a mile, and I can't tell you what the actual grade was, but I mean, when you rode your bike down it, you were riding the brakes. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a steep bugger, <laughs> and steep enough where in the winter... When I when we bought the place, I had just the regular BF Goodrich all terrain KO tire, and that was I don't know whatever five six seven years ago maybe, and I would have to chain up all the time, and I slid Ooh. off my own driveway multiple times, and just it it wasn't great, and that was just a straight all terrain tire, and uh, my neighbor said, "Man, when you're ready, you know, go and try these." Uh, they're the uh, Cooper Mud and Snow. 
I think it's a very, they might've changed the name now. It might be the snow claw now, but I think when I had my first pair, it was just the Cooper mud and snow. M&S is what they called it. And man, I put those things on and never had to put chains on again. I mean, it was, it was like I went from being, I don't know, the, the, uh, what's the superhero that slides around on the ice, like surfboard. I was that yeah, guy yeah. on my BF Goodriches. And then I went to be in Spider-Man. I mean, those things just grip that driveway and just up and down all different kinds of snow conditions. No problem. And, uh, that's what really turned me on to snow tires. It's like, wow. Yeah. Like <laughs> forevermore, I will have snow tires. Especially here in Montana, when you run, I mean, like this, this winter was tough. This is a long winter and having snow tires and having the right rubber that meets the road really makes it safer. And I, I always encourage people to buy the right tire for the right environment because that's ultimately your whole family is at stake. It's a relatively cheap investment to have the right kind of traction where the rubber literally meets the road so that you can avoid all these really costly, potentially dangerous situations. We kind of get a little cheap with our trucks sometimes or, or in our cars. Like, oh, I don't want to spend the money on that. But yeah. like, what are we risking? You know, sliding off the, the ditch all the time, going into the bank, you're, you're risking body damage or getting stuck somewhere where you shouldn't be. Uh, it, it quickly becomes an investment that's well worth it when you run out the scenarios just a little ways. Yeah, well, it falls right under that vehicle maintenance that you talked about earlier, where if you take care of that, then you're just going to have less problems when you're out there doing your adventures. Yeah, and that's the whole reason we're there. You know, we get to choose our adventures, mm -hmm. and sometimes we choose our adventure through ignorance by not maintaining our things or, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that's kind of the, I mean, accidents happen for sure, but a lot of it is preventable. So we get to choose that adventure. And I, I like to keep our vehicles maintained at the highest level so that I go out and have the adventure I intend to have, mm. not the one that I ended up with. Right. Okay. So let's just say we're, we're, we're going down the decision tree and Jordan's like, all right, I, I'm going to go with this new uh, mud terrain tire. It's going to be my summer and my fall hunting rig tire. Um, how she's she's what truck do you have? How how big of a truck, Jordan? Uh, three quarter ton and a twenty five hundred. Okay, so how many plies does she need? Are you towing anything? Yep. What are you towing? Uh, sixteen foot enclosed trailer. Okay, so yeah, so ply really has um, a lot to do with the sidewall stiffness, and uh, there's three ply, which almost all tires. With the, the new modern setup, um, two and a half, like, okay, so let's take the all-terrain tire from BF or uh, from General Tire. I can speak towards this one because I know the most about it. Um, it's three-ply other than where on the sidewall, so we're talking on the side of the tire, uh, this is where deflection comes from, okay? And this is actually integrated as part, calculated as part of your suspension system. The way your tire flexes up and down on the road correlates to how your suspension responds as well. So a three ply has three and, and the plies aren't necessarily what they used to be. Some of these terms come from old tire technology, but they just stuck with the same terms because that's what people knew. But it, like cords, for example, 10 ply or 10 corded tires, they used to literally be cords in the tire. Uh, it is a little different now, but they still use the term 
chords. Because uh, the technology is better than that, but they can equate it to what the chords used to be. Is that if that makes sense? So sure. anyway, when you, let's go when with you, the side when wall you say when you say chords like like rope. Yeah, they used to be like steel banding and cords. Uh, back in the day, it was literally cords wrapped around the uh, the main carcass of the tire, and that's and what they, gave it. And, its and, and that would go out on the outer. Yeah. Okay, so so how does that affect? If that's on the outside, how does that affect the um, the sidewall? Uh, so you have it doesn't. Well, I guess it probably does if you talk to some physicist. But uh, there, you have your sidewall deflection up and down, and then you have the stiffness of the main carcass of the tire, which is in your cords. Um, and this is about the extent of where my knowledge of how a tire is built ends. Um, okay. Uh, so I don't want to get too far and, and put out any misinformation because ultimately it matters kind of, but not really. Like, I, I don't focus on this too much. I know that when I'm towing, when I ask Jordan about what, you know, how are you using, you're going to want a heavier plied tire with stiffer cordage because of the weight that you are requiring the truck to pull and what is going to be on that rear axle because you have all this tongue weight, axle weight. If you have too soft of a tire in both sidewall and cordage, it's just going to be like a, it's just too soft. It's not going to hold up and it's going to wear out quickly. Um, but the reason you don't want too heavy of a cordage of a tire and too much sidewall if you're not towing is because it'll ride like a wagon. It'll be a te- <laughs> right. terrible driving experience. So that <clears throat> that's what you're kind of balancing out as you are looking to buy what tire. What about toughness in general with higher plies? Like, uh, I, I don't know, ranch life, we always went with a 10-ply because yep. uh, we've always said, like, nails don't go through it as easy. It's true. It's true. It's just there's more material on the, on the tread right there underneath it. So you have your lugs on top, and then you have the cordage underneath, and there's just a lot yep. more there. They're just It's a stronger, stiffer tire. It doesn't allow things through it. <clears throat> Got it. Excuse me. Um, but, and it, that, <clears throat> excuse me, goodness, uh, that works well on ranch trucks because you're often towing your, you're really util, utilizing those trucks for ranch work. So you're willing to give up compro- the comfort of a lesser ply tire with lesser side, lesser sidewalls that is more supple and goes down the road a lot nicer. If you hop into yeah. a Ram 3500, with a 10 ply and three, three ply sidewalls, go drive down the highway and then hop into a 2500 that has eight ply uh, cordage and only like a two and a half sidewall, you will notice the difference. You won't feel all mm. the final little vibrations, all the, mm-hmm. all the little cracks in the road that you would with a, with a heavier, stronger tire. So just because it's tougher doesn't mean it's really the one you want because you have to live with it every day, but it might serve the purpose of its use case. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So she decided on the, she, she's going to go, uh, I don't know, eight plies or whatever. Uh, sure. how much is, it seems like they got a lot more expensive and they got more expensive when the rims got bigger. 
The tire, it seems like there's less rubber that you're buying now, but somehow the tires got more expensive. So talk about just general pricing, I guess. And then also, uh, like with, with brand names, like how, like, are you paying more? Cause it's the Nike of tires. Um, great question. So let's, let's talk about brands first and just knock that out. Sure. Uh, your top, your top brands, they are running the latest rubber compounds, the newest technology, cause they are competing for the top slot. When you get into your sub tires, a lot of them are made in China. They're running off a technology that is 20 plus years old, but it still works. And that's what makes them cheaper. Um, so yeah, you are buying a little bit of brand name, I suppose, but, uh, they are aggressively competing with each other in their warranties and their tire wear and all the forums in the world out there, you know, everyone talking about it. So mm-hmm. the top brands really do provide a, a, the best tire. Um, I don't think you're paying too much for t- any one name over the other uh, to some degree. Um, we'll let the internet debate that forever. Yeah, but sure. uh, so, and then what was it? What was your other question? The other half of that. Uh, I guess it's just ge- just general pricing. Um, but it sounds like if they're all competing, gotcha. then the, right. r- really the pricing is not going to differ that much, right? Yeah. So now it comes down. Uh, you were talking about wheel size, uh, the rim size. So mm-hmm. we have, yeah. you know, standard used to be 15 inch rims. You know, every truck had a 15 inch rim for a long, long time. So they made thousands, millions and millions of tires at 15 inch rims. Uh, so this is getting into economies of scale is best I know of how all they price this. So when you get into a 22 inch rim and you want a 35 inch tire on a 22 inch rim, there are very few of those wheels and tire combinations out there. And, uh, so therefore the economies of scale say they have to charge more for it because they're not selling so many of them. Um, that's what makes them more expensive. That's on the extreme side. Uh, nowadays the common wheel size is now to 17 inch wheels and 18s. Uh, you're seeing other OEMs, original equipment manufacturers like Toyota, Ford, and all these, you'll see twenties coming out. That's usually for Lux. Usually it's 17 to 18 inch wheels because the brakes have gotten bigger. Um, Hmm. back in the day, our 15 inch wheels accommodated 15 inch size brakes. You know, the littler trucks and the technology. Now we're getting into heavy tow packages, towing more, pulling more, hauling more, and that all requires much more stopping power. So therefore the brakes got bigger and the wheels got more tall or rounder. (laughs) So it can (laughs) stuff a bigger brake in there. So those 17s and 18s are a lot more commonplace now. Um, And then just like anything else right now, we've seen a lot of price increase due to uh, supply and demand and manufacturing the ability to get the materials and the cost of the materials. You know, tires are made of oil. Oil's been pretty high for the last year and a half. So, right. you know, just the, op- the base material of that is starting at a higher price point. So everything floats with economics. So what's uh, Jordan going to be looking at to be paying uh, <clears throat> for a set it for average for to get herself a nice quality tire that she can depend on? 
Man, I think right now you're seeing anywhere between, well, it depends on, you know, your wheel size. I'll bet it's 18s. It's 18, yep. My guess on a 3,500, um, 17 or 18. Uh, you're going to be looking at uh, 275 to $375 a tire, just depending on yeah, they really where you're at. <laughs> they really went up. They really did. Um, there is even a rubber or a tire shortage that occurred uh, in last year across manufacturers. So that also drove prices up. Um, we've seen a reduction in the different sizes offered because, uh, for example, if you have a 17-inch, 35-inch tire, but the most common size is a 17-inch wheel in a 32-inch tire, mm-hmm. they're going to reduce the 35-inch tires because it takes a whole lot more rubber to make one of those than it does to make a 32 inch tire. And that's the one they're selling the most of. So they are reducing some of these bigger tire sizes so that they can meet the demand of the more common sizes. So we've seen all kinds of stuff and that's why prices are up. uh, Availability is down on certain things. So if you find the right tire size and it's a decent price right now, at least where we are today in time, probably buy it, you know, because it's there. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, and uh, so if you're going to be changing your tire size for any reason, make sure you buy that fifth tire because you don't want to have a 35-inch tire or a 33-inch tire uh, on all four, and then your spare tire is a 32. That might get you home off the trail a little ways, but you would not want to go down the highway with that offset in your tires. You will burn some stuff up. You'll wreck wreck some trucks. So uh, make sure that if you're increasing your tire size that you do at all five. That's a hot tip yeah. right there. Yeah. All right. Anything else, uh, under the, the subject of tires that we, we missed or you feel like we need to just t- touch on before we move on. Um, if you, if you're still just really wondering what is the best tire for me, take a hard look at the all terrain tire. Cause it does everything pretty dang well uh mm-hmm. does it do everything perfectly no but that's why it's an all-terrain tire and they mm-hmm. they're they're fantastic and they work great for hunters they work great for uh the ranch truck uh and they work great for getting around town and uh, and the winners so our my personal vehicles run an all-terrain tire on our land cruiser year round and it's it's the good perfect tire i can do everything with it if you're wanting more specifics into the winter tire, that's obvious. Or if you want more aggressive toughness, spend the extra, go into a mud terrain. and But it's going to have its limited uses when it, um, when it works the best. You know, mm-hmm. all terrain is really the way to go if you're just wondering what to get. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick folks. Or you 
open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Okay, so we've got we've got tires covered. Um I'm trying to think how we should tackle the next part. We so does does that count that that kind of counts as as we was we originally started this conversation with saying, "Hey, what's your top 5 vehicle recovery items? Like what what are the things you need?" It, do, good tires counts as one of those 5 recovery items, correct? Yeah, start you you should start with it. Got yeah. it. You know? Okay, so that's number one. trickles down from there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you might not even need to, you, might not, you won't have to use the word stuck or immobilize if you start off with good tires. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it gets you where you need to go and uh, because it's the right size, the right tire, the right pattern for the environment that you're operating in. But then other things happen, right? We still right. exceed the traction of a tire, we exceed the clearance of a vehicle. Uh, things happen, and that's where we need to be prepared in our immobilization first aid kit, so to speak. Uh, from there, okay. And so we'll get into each one, but the the rest of the items that you had on your list were air compressor, uh, recovery boards, also known as traction boards, yep. a jack of some sort, and then a strap. Yep. Yeah. These are. 
all critical. <clears throat> the reason air compressor is like the first one we put on there is because mm -hmm. that is typically <clears throat> the first thing that fails. While we do have good tires, it is where the rubber meets the road. And that's where um, we see the most failures in a vehicle is in tires. So having the ability to fix a tire is pretty critical. So having some plugs and an air compressor, whether it's one that you can plug into your battery or that's one full-time built into your truck, like a lot of overland vehicles have, mm -hmm. um, that allows you to fix a flat and keep moving without having to take the tire off the vehicle. It'll get you off the trail, get you going. And in that, in my opinion, is much safer in many ways because you're not having to lift the vehicle, take things off in the backcountry where other further accidents could happen, allows you to repair the tire right there and keep moving. And what's, what's the Cadillac air compressors right now Ooh. that are not in your vehicle? Um, Viair is a really good one. Uh, and then ARB uh, out of Australia makes their comp the, the same compressor that they put inside vehicles. They, can, they put in a box for a portable version, and that's what nice. we run. Okay. So really the air compressor is kind of a two-part deal. You need an air compressor and then you need some plugs. And plugs, if you've never done it, I haven't, I haven't done it a lot myself, maybe a half dozen times, but they're really quite simple. Yeah, it's not hard. It's something you can, you can watch one YouTube video on it and know how to do it. And now you're equipped in the backcountry to solve your, probably your number one problem, which is a flat. Right. I mean, you literally, with a, with a small little, I don't know what the tool is called, but you literally stick it into the hole with some adhesive. And then when you pull yep. it out, the plug stays. Uh, the tool comes out, the plug stays. And then, I don't know, is there even a cure time? Or do you just go ahead and just, and just start putting air in? You start putting air in it. And uh, that, that is the next trick. You, you put air in it, see if it holds. And if it's still leaking, you put another plug in right next to it. You know, you just keep jamming plugs in there until it stops leaking. Um, my experience says it's usually one, maybe two, but it's usually one. I had an extreme case in Greenland, uh, with an Arctic truck tire where we put 20 into one, but <laughs> into uh, one that hole. was a, 20 <laughs> into a gash. Yeah. And it was a special plug system that has, um, uh, they they were blue and they had this emulsifier. I think that's the term for it that uh, when they all get next to each other, they bond and build, and then they adhere to the rubber of the tire and built a patch, essentially. We built a massive plug. But that Whoa. was running a 44-inch tire built for running at two pounds of pressure. And what caused the, uh, a, a gash that big? Uh, we ran over a rock in Greenland. Just yeah, that was a sticking super out of sharp ice. rock. Yep, and gashed it. But we're running at two pounds of pressure. Two PSI. Which gets I, me into another topic on, on how to run that, if, if we'd like to talk that, airing down. That, yeah, that's a topic that. we should talk about. Yeah, because so. if you have an air compressor, then I guess that opens up the, the, the ability to, to do this, right? Yep. And airing down is a very good technique. If you, I, I didn't learn about this till I got into the off-road scene. Like I didn't learn about it from ranching when I was growing up or my dad, who was a semi-truck driver, ran tires and all kinds. Of, they don't air down. They run at exact PSI all the time and then they just leave it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if you have the ability to air down, you can really dramatically change how your tire performs. So you can get better ride quality. But say, say you drive around at 40 PSI 
on the highway in daily life. That's pretty as common, soon as you get on right? A dirt road. What's that? Forty psi is pretty common, right? In a, in a, in a yeah. chuck tire. Yeah, probably thirty-five to fifty psi is kind of the ranges of what truck tires run at. Just depends, and a little bit of personal preference in there too. So yeah, you get a like my Ram. I run fifty psi on my tires as soon as I get on a trail, or a, I was just down in Utah. As soon as I got off the trail of the highway, there running at fifty psi just wants to shake your teeth out. You know, so you air down. We have tools for that. You know, you can use the dirt bag version is a rock on the side of the road. You air it down and you check it with your tire pressure. I went down to my, my truck's pretty heavy. So it's, I just went down to 30 PSI, which gave me the deflection in the tire that I was looking for. There's no magic number to what you should air down to because it's really based on the deflection of the tire and how heavy your vehicle is. And so if de- I told when you, you say deflection of tire, uh, yeah. uh, explain that. Sure. So as you take air out of the tire, uh, your tire is going to change its shape, especially at the contact patch of the ground. Most people think it gets wider. It doesn't. It gets longer, like a snowshoe. So 80% of the length is in its, uh, or of the increase in traction patch is in its length. It gets longer. 20% only folds to the sides as it comes down. Um, and that's why when you look at an all-terrain and a mud-terrain tire, they have a really aggressive sidewall right there at the top because when it airs down, that sidewall starts to make contact with the ground. And that's why they're three-ply right there because it uh, needs to be strong enough to take to go along rocks and things like that without puncture. So yeah, if, if you increase that traction patch, now you have more rubber on the ground in a lot of ways that it will increase your flotation. So if you're in really deep stuff, it'll help you stay on top. And it'll also give you a much better ride. So the other day when I went from 50 PSI to 30 PSI, and it was like cushy, you know, it was like I was riding on a cloud, you know, and that, that saves the rest of the vehicle from all the vibrations that start at the ground and go up into the, into the truck. Everything's not shaken apart and you're maintaining having mechanical sympathy for your vehicle by airing down. Now you need to make sure that you air back up before you hit the highways because an air down tire generates a lot of rolling resistance, which creates heat. So if your tire is too far, too low, just imagine running around town on a really low tire, it's going to, it's going to destroy it due to heat. So Mm -hmm. you air it back up and off you go. And the heat is only caused because there's just more contact? More contact and deflection. So as a tire rolls, um, uh, say like at the top of the tire, it looks normal, right? But then as you look at the bottom of the tire where the weight is squishing it, it's all deformed right there. Yeah. So that, that action of cycling through those two forms over and over and over and over and over again generates tons of heat. And if you've ever had a flat tire, um, where going down the road, all of a sudden you blow a tire. And then by the time you come to a stop, that sucker is almost so hot you can't touch it. It's because right. of mm-hmm. that. All of a sudden it was going through tons of deformer- deformation and built extreme heat right off the bat. So it, it's a thing. You need to be aired up, which brings us back to having an air compressor gives you options. You can repair a tire and you can air down, get the ride right, the proper ride that you need and traction. Uh, and then you can air back up when you hit the 
the highway and head home. Okay. Do you want to get into right now how that could help you get uh, unstuck or should we kind of roll through all the pieces of the, of getting unstuck and then, and then work into how to actually use them? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll touch on it real quick because airing down does increase your ability to get out of many stuck situations first. So a lot of times, say you've got a tire that's slipping or two, um, if even just airing down a little bit, which allows more contact patch to touch the ground, uh, it also allows the tire to deflect more. Um, because it is deforming as it goes around, it'll grab new material, but then as it's coming out of where the material is, it it flexes more and releases that material. So it does help you clean the tread by being a, a bit aired down because of it's it's moving more and it helps fling the stuff out. That makes sense. And then you have more yeah. contact patch with the ground and um, gives you better traction to get out. Now, if you're high centered, this isn't going to help you, right? Because your wheels aren't just touching the ground anyway. You're going to have to put something under it. But in other situations like snow, sand, mud, being aired down is very beneficial to your traction. Okay. So I had a thing this winter. We were actually just taking out the trash. We have to dump our own trash in dumpsters. And it hadn't been plowed and it was, I don't know, a solid foot, maybe a little bit more. Someone had driven in there and made it out. I went plowing in there thinking if they made it out, so will I. Well, I get in there and all of a sudden all four wheels are spinning and we're moving sideways. And it was just a matter of time until we were immobilized. Do you think there was a chance that I could have gone from 40 to 15 and climbed my way out of there? Or, or was that too much to ask uh, for just airing down? probably too much to ask in that situation because what, what was causing you to not be able to get out? Was it the, the height of the ruts? I'm guessing it was just the amount of snow, right? Like okay. I could, I could never get down to something that I could actually grab. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I chained up and I drove right out of there. So sure. Okay. So was it wasn't a clearance problem. It was a flotation problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it probably would have. Oh, knowing really? what I heard there, going down. Uh, and so as you air down, think of it, it's an exponential curve. It's not like if I go to from 40 pounds to 20 pounds and from 20 pounds to 10 pounds is the same amount of uh, flotation increase. No, you'll, you'll gain some from 40 to 20, but from 20 to 10 is like, I don't know, meatball math, four times as much. Wow. So getting into those sweet spots uh, where you actually really do start to see a lot of increase in your traction and your flotation happens down there in the lower pressures and it happens very quickly. So you might only need to go from 20 pounds to 18 pounds and that's enough. Or if you need a little bit more, only go to 15 pounds and you've actually increased it by quite a lot. This all depends on the weight of the vehicle and the truck and the tire. and the, It just takes some experimenting with your own vehicle to figure yeah. it out. But uh, it, it might have it might have given you the flotation that you needed, huh? Interesting. So, ranchers, back to quick tire size here. Mm-hmm. A lot of ranchers like pizza cutters. You've heard the term pizza cutters. I want a tall, skinny tire. Yep. Uh, that's because a tall, skinny tire does benefit you more often than a big, wide tire. Airing down a tire getting flotation only starts to benefit you 
past 110% of your vehicle's clearance. We can get real techie here. Um, so you only want a wider, longer, taller tire um, when you've exceeded 110% of your clearance of the vehicle, at least in snow, sand, and mud, because you're dragging the vehicle underneath, right? So now you need flotation to get up above it. Until mm -hmm. then, a taller, skinny tire has more contact pressure. So think of a rail car, a railroad car. All of that weight is sitting on one inch on the rail and it has all the traction it needs because it has all that downforce on a very small contact patch on the rail. So that's how a locomotive can go down on steel wheels because of the weight on a very small piece of rail. Okay. Now we don't want that in our cars because it would be terrible to drive, right? They're on rails. They can do that. They can mm -hmm. get away with it. So we have other factors that we have to deal with, but the principle remains. So you only want a wider tire, taller tire, when you need that flotation past 110% of your clearance. Takes a second to think about, but because you kind of yeah, got to visualize it in your head. Okay. Yeah. So, it so it, it's, it's basically once you, you're clear, you've exceeded clearance. Right, like yep. you got yourself into a spot where, but it, but again, this wouldn't apply to being high centered, would it? Because if you're taking air out, you're only going to get more high centered. Correct. So, but th so this would be clearance in mud, snow type conditions. Correct. Got it. Where if you don't want to get high centered a lot, then you get into taller tires because it just keeps you above a lot of the things that would cause you to be high centered. Got it. But if I was in my situation, I was digging down too far mm -hmm. and I was probably getting bogged down by all the other snow around me, right? My, my vehicle, yep. the, the frame itself is starting to just push against snow and the tires can't push me through that. You're saying that I possibly could have aired down, gotten more flotation, and it would have just lifted me up above that level and I could have drove, driven out. Exactly. Wow. I'm I'm getting educated. Are you Jordan? <laughs> oh yeah, big time. This is oh, great. So would that but that wouldn't really work if like okay, this last spring I was out shooting content and I went to turn around in a in a pull out on a forest service road and there was like a bunch of snow that had been packed in and melted and went to ice and yada yada and I basically was just I wasn't stuck under the frame at all. I was just stuck on my wheels i guess it's just ice they were I was just, just stuck spinning in the on ruts. ice yeah there wasn't really ruts it was just i was trying to break through some snow but it was so hard that it just stopped me and then when i tried to back up it was so slick underneath that i just couldn't get any traction backing up that's where i think like traction boards yep. would have been real nice um but airing down my tires in that situation wouldn't it may help, have maybe uh, it's tough okay. cuz now we're getting into like specific conditions but it would yeah. have been one of the tools in your uh, toolkit that you could have used, especially if you didn't have traction boards or, or, or yeah. things like that. That would be one of the first things you do. And you go incrementally, right? You just air down a little bit more. Does that help? Oh, let's go a little bit more. Um, and then you get to a point where you're like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't go any further lower in my tire pressure. This isn't working. But you might have found mm -hmm. a delta point in there where that tire pressure may have helped you in that situation. 
Is there a point where it can get dangerous or or bad? Like, is there a low end where you're like, hey, if you're running the average truck and you're running 40 PSI normally, like I would recommend don't go below this number? Yeah, tire tire manufacturers have their number. I think General Tire is like 22 PSI. They don't want you to run below 22 PSI on on the trail. Mm -hmm. Um, Below that, you're becoming a test pilot for those tires to see what they're capable of. They wouldn't warranty them if you ran them, you know? Um, but you know, me personally, I do run pressures below 22 pounds, but it's usually in shorter distances. Like we would call this emergency pressures. So there's, cause we know that going from like 22 pounds to say 15 PSI, there's an exponential increase in flotation be- between those two numbers because the tire starts to deflect a lot more between those pressures, um, which also we know creates heat and all that stuff. But if you're running slow and you're not doing high speeds, you can maintain that. You can take, take care of the tire. Uh, when it gets really low, like real emergency pressures, I would say, well, and again, it depends on the weight of your vehicle. Like if my Ram 3500 with a camper on the back and everything was down at 14 PSI, I'll bet that rim would nearly be touching the ground. You know, but if you take a Tacoma with nothing in the back, straight off the lot, going down to 14 PSI, you're going to be like, is that, is that tire air down? I can't tell, you know, you know, it just, (laughs) because it's due to weight and tire size and all these things, right? Sure. So you're really looking at the deflection, how the tire is behaving under the pressure that you've given it. Um, And you can tell as soon as you get low enough where you can start to see the tire roll in a corner. That's when it's getting uh, dangerous that you will roll the bead. So a tire is mounted to the wheel with a bead. Um, it's kind of kind of glued in there and pressed against the bead or the, the rim of the tire with pressure. Uh, if you exceed the forces that it can hold, it will peel it off the rim and instantly lose all your air and you'll be on the ground and you're now getting into a, a reseat the bead situation, which is... Very doable, but it takes work and you got to have the right tools. Most, I was going to say, and, and, and those tools aren't in our top five item list, right? No, no. We, we could throw that in there, actually. Uh, I, we have a recovery strap in here, a max trash recovery. We could just throw in there a ratchet strap, a two-inch ratchet strap, really bomber <laughs> ratchet strap, because that's what you would need and an air compressor to reseat the bead. So oh, you put the so, strap okay, around the middle of it. Yep. And you just ratchet it down, ratchet it down, ratchet it down as tight as you can. And you're basically you're squeezing the inside of the tire on the rim as much as you can, which is causing the edges, the, the bead of the tire to want to pop out because you're squishing the yeah. middle and you just ratchet it down as tight as you can. That's why you need a really good one because it's going to take a lot of effort. And if you have those 10 ply tires, this is going to, you're going to be sweating. It's going to be a lot extra of extra effort. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you get that as best you can. And then you hit that with a shot of air and help that punch out and reseat the bead, put some more air in with your air compressor, and then you can release the ratchet strap and air up the rest of the way. There are other methods out there that uh, are far more dangerous that you've probably seen all over the internet where you (laughs) shoot a bunch of ether in there and light a match and see what happens. Uh, We do not recommend you do that unless you really know what you're doing. (laughs) So uh, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So next on our list of uh, recovery items, um, 
top five here for Clay is uh, recovery boards. Yeah, hands down, hands down. And uh, this is above a winch because a winch takes um, skill sets. A very you got to have the right tools. You should probably have a little bit of training. You got to know what to do. You got to be in the right environment. So that's why me- a max track or a recovery board, traction boards, however, whatever you want to call it, uh, comes into play because anybody can use them. They're extremely safe. They weigh nothing. They, you throw them in the back of the truck and uh, you're just, they're, they're waiting for you uh, when you need them. And they help in a lot of ways. So Jordan, back to your situation where you had yeah. uh, been kind of sunk down. You got broken through the crust on the top and it was super soft underneath and you just couldn't get the momentum again to get going, right? Because mm-hmm. your immobilization falls down to two things. You either need traction or momentum. Because if you have a lot of momentum, you can not have a lot of traction and get through stuff, right? You can just yeah. plow your way through it. If you don't have traction, you can't get momentum. So this is where recovery boards come into play. You put them, you give the tire the appropriate runway to get momentum back. So you put them under your tire, you kick them in, in your case, in the snow, you would kick them in as far as you can. Uh, doesn't matter what traction board you use, you do not want to spin the tires on the traction board uh, because it generates excessive heat very quickly. Uh, and like on Max Tracks, it says molded right into the traction board, it says no wheel spin. Hmm. So you kick them in as far as you can. You've probably aired down a little bit, so your tire has better grip already. And quick, quick question: Do you need to uh, do you need to do any shoveling like beforehand? Uh, oftentimes, yes. Okay. And uh, these these work great as their own shovel. You flip them over, and you you just use them to dig themselves. Uh, so what you're wanting is the best approach angle or departure angle from the tire to wherever you have to get up on top of. You don't want it to be extremely steep. You know, you want it to be the lowest angle possible because that's going to increase your chances of success. So get that kicked in there, shovel out the stuff that you got to shovel out and then get them pushed in there, go to four wheel drive and then either drive forward or drive backwards, depending on your situation. Uh, That's another benefit of traction boards because they work in both directions. Whereas a winch does work primarily in one, unless you have Mm -hmm. extremely good skill sets and lots of stuff to make it go in reverse. So traction boards, they weigh nothing. They're cheaper than a winch. They require no electricity or hookups or, and they, they get you out of most things. And, uh, and you like these max tracks, max tracks. Right? They're, they're the original. Yeah. The owner's a good friend of mine. I'll always preach for max tracks. Their compounds are the best. They're single point injection molded. There's a reason they cost more. They hold up far better in the yeah. cold. Yeah. But what do you think about the mini ones? I have a set of the mini ones and I actually have, uh, friends that are traveling around the world in a Tundra with a camper on the back and they chose the minis just to save weight and they are getting around the world on the minis. Yeah. So nice. they're pretty cool. They're made for side-by-sides and stuff, but people are mm-hmm. finding more uses for them than just that. Yeah. I'd say, what are they roughly three feet long? The regular sized one? Yeah. 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 Which is there an instance where you would use them sort of, um, I don't know, as, as steps to get out of a, of a longer problem where, 
where, okay, you got really stuck. You put your traction boards in, you were able to move forward three feet, but then as soon as you rolled off the traction boards, you're, you're stuck again. Again. Just yep. pull them out, reset them forward of your tires and just keep moving forward like that three feet at a time. Is there or any other tips that you would do then? The beauty is to have your buddies have a set as well. Now <laughs> you, you didn't right. have four. <laughs> now you have eight and you can literally build a road and get out. We have done that. We did it in British Columbia uh, several years, you know, 10 years ago now, but uh, we were using winches and max tracks at the same time because we were so epically stuck. And we just built the Egyptian road, one in front of the other, one in front of the other <laughs> for a mile, and we got out. Jeez. Took forever. What took kind hours. Of con- what kind of conditions? Snow? We were um, in British Columbia, let's see, it was in February, and we were just driving down some of their backcountry roads, and we got hit with a massive snowstorm in the middle of that trip. And uh, the road that we had to go down to get out had not been traveled yet. So we were just buried. So we used all the tools at our disposal through some of the worst patches, uh, which involved like eight or 12 max tracks and winches. Okay. And I, you said instead of having four, you'd have eight if your buddy had a set, which means that you're, you're right. carrying four on it. Cause I think I, I just got a set for my birthday, but I'm pretty sure I was only given two. So do you recommend carrying four? Of these things? Yeah, if you are in snow, four is really, it gives you so many more options. Probably 50, 60% of the time you can get out with only two, but uh, having a set of four is really the magic number. Got it. Hmm. Because that allows all four tires that have traction with a four-wheel drive to find traction and push and extract. Versus relying on only two tires to hopefully have enough traction to get you out. You know, and when we're talking about big hunting rigs and and heavy stuff, four is good. So your next birthday or Father's Day coming up (laughs) or something, maybe a couple more. I'll ask for two more. Okay. Yeah. Well, next you have uh, like a high lift jack or a hydraulic jack. Is that... Just to change your tire, or are you using that for more things? Um, well, a high lift jack can be used for more than just changing a tire. Um, they they can be they can push and pull, so you can spread things apart with them, or you can lift things up. So they they are a very handy tool. That's why farmers and ranchers have make sure they're in the back of each truck because they can build fence with them. They can winch yeah things closer together with them. Uh, they can lift a lot of stuff. They can pull things out. High lifts are very, uh, multi, they're the multi-tool of, of a off-road vehicle, but they do come with risk. You need to really know what you're doing. You need to, a lot of people have gotten hurt by them. You know, mm-hmm. rule of thumb is always wear gloves, have WD-40. If, if your high lift jack isn't working, it's probably because it needs lubrication. So you always, if you have a high lift jack, you need to have a little bottle of WD-40 taped to that thing. You know, and so you can lubricate it to get the springs and the pins working correctly. Uh, and then you never, when you're operating it, you never put your face over the bar as you're lifting something. Because if it slips yeah. all that way to the vehicle, it's going to fling that bar back up. And a lot of people have lost some teeth and been pretty hurt by those things. So just need to know what you're doing. Still one of the best staples out there. Um, that's why we have on this list a hydraulic jack. Um 
there's a couple companies out there that make these now. Eagle makes one and ARB, and it's a hydraulic piston. So you, you, it has a handle that you hydraulically lift something and you can use a valve to lower it. Much safer, but it has limited use. It can't, can't go very high. Multi purpose as a high lift, but they're much safer. Yeah. And that's actually what we carry now in our vehicles. Nice. That's what I have too. Like a high, it's a, um, it's a big, I think it's a big red. I'm not sure who makes gotcha. that, but it's like a big red hydraulic jack. I'm trying to, th- I think it's a two ton, maybe. Okay. Yep. Perfect. And you yep. want to try to have two times the weight of the vehicle on your jack mm. to be as safe as possible. Of course, there's safety margins above that, but unless you know exactly who's built it, always have at least two times the, the weight. Yeah. To be so, but in the case of getting unstuck, how would you use these jacks in a, um, like, would you ever use it in just a, I'm stuck in deep snow or I got stuck in a mud hole situation or where does it come into play in, in recovery? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, your high lift or, or your high centered situation, you got to lift the frame up. And then, so what, what you can do is you can lift the vehicle up and then block underneath the tires and then drive off of it. Uh, versus trying to chip out whatever you're high centered on, you actually just physically lift the vehicle and uh, hmm. fill the hole. Maybe you dug you, your tire spun and you you sunk the the truck onto whatever you're high centered on. Lift the vehicle, fill in the hole with whatever material is around, rocks, more sand, tree branches, whatever you got to do, right? And then you set the vehicle back down and drive off. So yeah, Got it. Uh, and if you have to swap a tire, perhaps your tire is so badly damaged you can't repair it with a plug, then you will need one of these tools to uh, make a safe tire swap in the backcountry. And the reason you won't be able to use just the jack that the truck came with is? Uh, well, hopefully you can, because it's still the best option. Oh, um, okay. It just, but the, the, the jack that your vehicle came with is... <clears throat> Very limited in its reach. So it's built for the stock's tire size and on flat ground in the concrete in the shop. Uh, So you either need to be able to lift the jack up with a block of wood. Um, American Expedition Vehicles makes an awesome stand that takes your uh, factory jack and lifts it up and supports it. So when you put a taller tire on, now you've lifted the vehicle, right? Uh, that allows your factory jack to still lift the vehicle. Um, so you, and then there's situations when a factory jack just won't work. So let's take your high centered in the snow, getting a jack under there, under the, you know, digging out the snow, trying to get a jack to work uh, under an axle when you're high centered versus getting a high lift jack out, being able to, of course, you need the proper mounting position on the vehicle that won't damage it, rear bumper, side rails, or using a tire lift with the high lift jack. Um, But that allows, I mean, you have 60 inches of lifting capability versus maybe the 13 inches or 12 or so tops of a factory jack. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, Sounds like we could do a whole other podcast just on using yeah. High, yeah. high lift jacks. The short story there is carry both. <laughs> okay. Because if you can use the the smaller one, it's it's safer. It's more calculated. We use them all the time. But when you need a high lift jack, you need a high lift jack. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Nice. Okay. What about uh, recovery straps now? Well, this is, this is a simple one. If you are with a buddy or someone comes along, uh, extracting somebody with a, a recovery strap is going to probably be your quickest solution. Someone that can come up behind you who still has traction, hook a strap up to you and pull you backwards. Um, now, I must say that this is a recovery strap, not a toe strap. A toe strap has, uh, is a static line. It has very little flex. It's designed to tow with mm. constant force. You know, get your truck to the shop. Uh, and that's what you buy. Strap. That's what you buy normally. If you just go down to O'Reilly and you buy one of those straps, you're going to be buying a toe strap, right? Yeah, uh, and anymore they offer both right there. Oh, uh, okay. The recovery strap has become very popular. Like go down to O'Reilly or Murdoch's. There's going to be a toe strap on one side, and then there's going to be a recovery strap on the other. And a recovery strap is dynamic, so it stretches, and that helps um, take the load of uh, when you back up expands like a rubber band and then it loads the energy into the strap and lifts and pulls the other vehicle out versus just slamming it like if it was a steel cable you know that's really hard on stuff back Mm. to that mechanical sympathy Mm -hmm. and i'll because i'm thinking of it right now never ever ever recover anyone from a toe ball of a hitch (laughs) <laughs> I'm gar- I guarantee you 75% of the people listening yes. are like, oh, I did that one. <laughs> I did that. I know I have. So a tow ball is designed to take static load straight down from a trailer. Yeah. Tongue weight. It is not designed to take the massive energy load from the side. They shear. And now what you've done is effectively made a slingshot. So you've slapped your toe strap that is dynamic it stretches you throw it over the toe ball your buddy backs up and that toe ball shears and it's wrapped in your toe strap and it flings it through the windshield of the recovery vehicle and uh just a couple years ago a family um a dad was killed with his family in the car uh doing this thing this very thing so yeah i have a buddy that was killed Killed doing the same thing. He got stuck in the ditch and they, they were trying to pull him backwards and they hit the end of it and it broke the ball off, went through his, through the topper, through both windows of the topper, back window of the pickup and hit him in the back of the head and killed him. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, bad, that's enough like, right there, bad. guys. Like mm-hmm. if you're listening out there and you see this happening on the trail, you need to stop someone from doing it. Holy uh, cow. And, yeah. The, uh, the solution is take the hitch out and put the pin in it. Just thread it through the hitch and then use the pin because the pin is designed to take that load, not the hitch ball. Okay. Cause those, those toe straps or recovery straps, um, have, but so are you saying don't ever use a toe strap in this situation always, or, 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 or can you sometimes get away with it? Oh, well, if you're stuck, you're stuck. You got to use the tools at hand. But if you have your option, you will not use a toe strap. If you do have to use a toe strap, you will find, uh, you will take it to tension. You will never shock load it. Right. So you can, if if all you have is a toe strap, hook it up to both vehicles, back the one up until there is proper tension slowly. 
you know, there's tension on the line and then you use it in a static line, just backing up smooth. Don't let it go to slack and then load because the strap's not going to stretch something, whatever is the weakest link will break first, whether it's a bumper getting ripped off a truck or the trap, the strap breaking, you just don't know. And the recovery straps, do they come with preformed loops at the ends, just like a toe strap? They do. Yep. Okay. And so you would just take your pin out and then kind of shove that loop into the, uh, I guess the receiver mm-hmm. in there and then run the pin back in. And that's how you would, that's, that's, you're saying that's a, a, a viable way to attach the strap to the, to the vehicle. That would be the minimalistic, uh, worst case scenario, how you would hook that up. Uh, the best case scenario is, is that you carry a, um, hitch recovery system. It's just a, another hitch that you put in there that you are allowed to put a, um, a, a clevis, yeah. uh, into it where you hook the strap to the clevis and that clevis attaches to the, the receiver and, uh, use all the, the strength of the t- toe bar through that. And, and it's still relying on the pin. But uh, it, it's much more efficient. It, there's no sharp edges, uh, and they're very affordable. They're you know forty, fifty bucks for one mm-hmm. of those. I have mine sitting in the back. It slides into the receiver. It replaces the ball, and then it just has a round end on it that you can put a D ring. A lot of people call them D rings, uh, but it's a clevis. You put a clevis in there. Uh, a bow shackle is technically its name. Uh, put the bow shackle through the strap into the hitch there, and off you go. You you are safe. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater. But you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater. Okay. At twc.health slash meat eater you ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in you crave wide open spaces fresh air the chance to connect with the land well maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild but searching for property can be a maze that's where 
Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I, uh, I have another example of what, what not to do. Yes. Um, when I was, uh, when I was, I don't know, I was in high school, I think I, we were doing stuff with the tractor. I got the tractor stuck. My dad went to pull me out. Well, dealing with what you, you have, we have, we have a giant recovery rope. It's like that, that big, you yeah. know, just like a, a huge one for the tractor or whatever. Uh, we didn't have our D ring. So we had a piece of chain that we chained around. So. What we did was we hit the end of that, the chain broke, the whole thing's loaded, comes back at me and goes through the windshield of the tractor. And what probably saved me was it hit the front of the hood of the tractor first and then bounced up into the windshield so it didn't come all the way through the windshield at me. But another example of like, don't do that. It could have been, yeah, I could have been pretty badly hurt and that scared both of us. And, uh... You're lucky yeah, to be. That's you're lucky to be on this podcast. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Yeah. Well, let's. So, what do you do? Because obviously, it's like okay, you got your setup, so you can rig your truck to be connected properly to the strap. But you're, let's just say, you do. you you are pulling out a stranger, and they don't have. They don't have any of this, and they don't have the hooks that are built into a lot of rigs now either. What do you attach to, and how? Sure. So uh, I carry stuff. For the, for the other guy who's not prepared. Uh, and I do it selfishly because I don't want to damage my stuff. Sure. Because um, <clears throat> you got to help them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially here in Montana and, you know, the it's it's the way of the West, right? We we help each other. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's straps that you can buy that can wrap an axle. Um, there's, which is still not your best situation. Anytime you can use legitimate toe points like people's hitches um or there are some factory recovery points that come from the factory that are legitimate not all of them are so some of those hooks that you see on the bottom of trucks Mm -hmm. those are only to be able to be tied down on the assembly line oh really yeah or to help in towing the truck whatever it is to the dealership where it will be sold and they stay on it. So they're not always the best. So you use your best judgment there. It depends on the forces that you're going to use and all that. How heavy of a recovery is this? Some of those little hooks really aren't the best. Um, so just be smart. Uh, 
I carry extra straps that I can wrap things with and, uh, and attach my dynamic straps to with, uh, bow shackles. Or now, uh, a really common thing is soft shackles. Um, and they're even better. We've pretty much replaced all of our D rings with, uh, soft shackles. They kind of look like Chinese finger traps. They have a loop on one end and a knot on the other, and you can slide them open and wrap it around and put the knot through the, the opening. And that's actually what you use to recover from. It creates a closed system and, uh, it's, it's fabric. They weigh nothing and they're super strong. And you could wrap that around pretty much anything, right? You could wrap that around an axle if you had to. There's good flexibility to those two. So I, I carry, you know, being me, the industry I'm in, I carry bow shackles and I carry soft shackles, but I carry mostly soft shackles now. I keep a couple of the other uh, bow shackles with me, but like I'll carry four soft shackles. And will you, will you, Clay, be able to do us and all of our listeners a favor and maybe run through a lot of these items that we've talked about and just make up a, a quick list with, with a couple examples and, and links to some of these items? Because I'm sure, like right now, I'm like, I'm trying to pay attention to our conversation, but I'm thinking, I need to make a list <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. of stuff I need um, to go buy. So what, the, probably the most trusted, it is the most trusted recovery company in the United States is Warren. They've been around for 75 years. This is their 75th anniversary this year. Same ones that um, make the, the winches, right? They make the winches, but they also make all the recovery stuff. So they are in the business of recovery. So they have great snatch straps. They have great kits that you can buy. And to me, it's a no-brainer to buy the kits. Uh, we have They have their Epic kit. They have the new Factor 55. It's a company that they purchased. Really high-end stuff if you're looking into the, the very best. But they have uh, their budget kits too, which are perfect for the hunting truck. Um, they, it comes with a little bag. It's got everything you need in there to run a winch and to have safe extractions and tow. Uh, it, it's a no-brainer. You just buy the kit. And they're on Amazon. I would say support your local off-road shop uh, or mm-hmm. shop that has it. Um, that would be much better. But uh, yeah, they're, they're easy to get. They're widely available, and that's a great place to start. Beyond that, uh, Max Tracks, same recovery store where you know you're off road, your your dark horse customs, your wherever you are in in the world. There's a off road shop pretty close, or a good shop online that can support you there. Uh, try to support those local businesses as much as you can. Uh, they go for about what are they three hundred a pair now um, for Max Tracks. Yep, three twenty. Um, and then I again buy once, cry once when it when when it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, because they're gonna hold up and they have great warranty. Uh what else do we got? We got high left jack. High left is don't buy the Chinese version. They're it it comes down to um how they're made, met, the metallurgy and the quality of the metal. Uh so buy an American made high lift if you can. Um the hydraulic jack ARB is probably the easiest one to get a hold of, and they are also sold at the same place as these other ones are. All the recovery straps, etc. What else we got? Tire repair kit. Um, ARB makes a great one. You can eat the the slime version at Walmart is yeah pretty dang good. You know, I, I've used that too. 
Yeah, that's uh, Meat Eater uh, crew approved. We because we so nice. often travel and then just rent a suburban that the, and rental vehicles. <laughs> I've even heard of other groups <laughs> like going and buying new tires and having them put onto their rental vehicles to, when they go and and do a hunt for a week, and then uh, just eating the cost of that. Um, but anyways, we haven't done that, but we've bought those kits that you're saying, those green slime ones at Walmart. And I mean, we had a trip in New Mexico where, I mean, we had to go back to get more plugs, I think, because we were ripping wow. through so many tires. It's just that weird kind of sharp rock, I guess, that was on these roads and the tires were super cheap. And, uh, um, yeah, rental tires can get you in a bad place real quick, but, uh, yeah, those, uh, those green slime kits, I can tell you they work. <laughs> Pretty dang good. And these uh, portable air compressors from ARB or Viair, you can fly with them. And Oh, cool. Yeah. Throw them in the box, put them in as part of your check, check luggage. The, the rental car, hilarious. You know, the most capable off-road vehicle in the world is a rental car. And everyone likes to use them like that too. So <laughs> make sure that you carry with what you've done there, have a tire repair kit and an air compressor and you can, you can tackle a lot of stuff. It brings you a lot of peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Until you just have worn through all the tires and then you realize you got to start swapping tires from one rental to another, just so you can get the broken tires down into town to get <laughs> wow. them fixed. Yeah. That's where we got to on that trip. All right. Nice. Let's, uh, let's, that was the top five items, but there's a few additional options and I carry some of these things. Let's rip through a couple of the, th those are top five. And I'm kind of surprised that a shovel didn't make your top five kit. Well, uh, if you have recovery boards, you kind of already have a shovel. I see. Uh, so if, if definitely you're going to carry more than five things, you should, you know, but for the sake of, you know, keeping things simple, the best five things. But yeah, quickly into number six, we have like the, the first aid kit, we called it the vehicle first aid kit. And that has tire repair, uh, a shovel, a first aid kit should be in every vehicle, not one that's in your pack. It's one that's dedicated to the vehicle. Yep. Um, headlamps and recovery strap, uh, which is part of just that first aid kit that, you know, go buy that, uh, kit from Warren or whoever Max Tracks makes one too, whoever just have that as part of your vehicle first aid mm -hmm. kit. Yeah. And a shovel, a shovel is a shovel. You don't have to spend lots of money on a shovel. There's, there's lots of ways you can, but, uh, you know, even if you go get that rental car and you're hunting somewhere and flew from Montana to New Mexico, roll into, you know, Home Depot and buy the $15 shovel with a long handle as flat as it can be. So you can get under a stuck vehicle. Don't want one with a lot of curve to it. Oh, so you, you would recommend more like stuck. the, the square shape. What do they call it? Like a transfer, like a scoop shovel. Uh, I always go with the spade. Oh, the you do go spade. spade. I can. Okay. Yeah. Go spade. Yeah. Just cause you one might that have I've to been using. In. Go ahead. Yeah. One I've been using for snow is, uh, an avalanche shovel. Cause they're smaller not quite as wide as like a regular scoop shovel and the they're just more compact the um the handle can telescope at least the ones that we have does. perfect um yeah it just like it's small super easy to use and yeah i like it i think every year costco does a run on cheap snow shovels and a lot of our cars around here uh, have a costco snow shovel thrown in the back hmm. with all that stuff so 
Uh, if you want to go really high end, you get into Demo shovels. They're made out of Salt Lake and they're, they're like the Gucci of snow shovels, you know, for cars <laughs> but with specialty mounts and all that stuff. We've worked with them for years too and good stuff. Um, but yeah, have a shovel, have a shovel. Okay, and then you had a couple additional uh, options written down there too. Uh, number one was yes. battery jump So pack. some of this comes down to uh, just rounding out back to the immobilization due to power or due to fuel or due to, you know, mechanical stuff, right? So battery jump pack. The next most likely thing that happens, what would make you immobilized is you have a dead battery. You can't, you know, you, you were excited on the trail that morning, you left the key on a little bit. And by the next day, when you come back after your overnight, your truck is dead. So have, and you're at the end of a trailhead. Hopefully you're hunting where no one else is. So there's probably not anyone else coming. You need to be self-sufficient, mm -hmm. have a battery pack with you. You can jump yourself uh, with one of those. Uh, tire chains, we've talked about that. They, they can be extremely beneficial in really deep snow when you got to keep moving. And mud too. Back east, we'll... In Eastern Montana, you'll use these in the gumbo. And they'll get you out too. Cause it just, it's just grabbing a lot of material and throwing it. That's allowing you to move forward. Um, a winch, you know, there we've talked about simple things, uh, that require no skills and, you know, or hookups, but there's a time when you need a winch, you need a winch because you're working with heavy machinery at this point, your cars weigh a lot. And if there's a certain point where you need true recovery mechanical advantages of a winch to get you out. Mm -hmm. Um, a five can jerry can five, sorry, a five gallon jerry can of gas or diesel. Um, it'll help that, that guy you come across guy or gal that you come across, it allows you to be a good neighbor or it'll get you out if you make a mistake, you know, or whatnot. And then, uh, carry your factory jacks right there. That's on there. And your optional additions, make sure you have your factory jacks. Yeah. And then other stuff, simple things, fuses, you know, that's the next yeah. thing that could cause something to go wrong. Make sure you have spare fuses in the glove box. Yeah. That'll okay. get you pretty far. Sweet. And then a toolkit, you know, have, have some basic tools, go to Home Depot or wherever and buy the, the general 150 piece set or whatever, and have it sitting in the back so that you can. Do some basic and know fixes. how to use it too. And know how know to know how use to it. like know how to fix stuff. Yeah, on there. Work on your own cars a little bit. You know, we're, yeah. I know we're all real busy and we're trying to save as much time as we can in places. But you know, there's an advantage to working on your truck a little bit, and have have that experience before you before you need it. Well, what what would you say is the is the common mechanical failure that can actually be fixed in the backcountry? Uh, right off the bat, obviously, is tires. Um, fixing that's the most common failure point and is has all these different ways of being fixed as we discussed um let's see what else i've seen a lot of uh lug nuts sheared off tires uh -huh. you know carry some spare lugs um that that's fixable in the field let's see hoses usually but you know a lot of these are avoidable if you're really into the maintenance of your vehicle mm -hmm. look at it uh, my grandpa always used to say that your truck talks to you if you just listen, you know, <laughs> it, it just, the squeaks, the, the sounds, the new vibrations and chase them. Don't just assume, don't normalize, say, what is that? And go find it. 
and uh, that'll that'll keep you out of being immobilized a lot. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, last but not least, a uh, lot of stuff you got to carry, keep organized, keep most likely, hopefully, tucked away and not really using. So where do you put all this stuff? What, what's give me, give me like, I know there's the X overland version of sure. organizing. And then there's also the, Hey, like, can I just chuck it in a five gallon bucket and bungee cord it <laughs> to the, you know, the front end of my bed? Like, uh, what do you recommend there? Yeah. So, uh, number one, make sure you have it. Even if you don't have a way to secure it very well, make sure you do have it on your next adventure. These things, uh, to save, to save you from the, the adventure you don't want. Um, but, uh, storage solutions is the next big topic here. And we use all kinds of things. We, there's drawer systems that you can order, uh, that fit into the back of your SUVs or truck beds. Decked is a good one. Um, Outback Solutions from ARB, Goose Gear out of California. There's a lot of systems that we can get into later on organizing your truck. But the important thing here is the principle called load and lash. And this, this applies to more than just the stuff that we're throwing in the truck here. Uh, this, this applies to your equipment and your gear and your rifles and your bows and all that. Uh, have a way to secure it down. Strap it down. Because in the event of an accident, a lot of people are hurt in rollovers uh, and in accidents by the materials inside their car, mm. not the accident itself. People have been killed by the things that don't need to be killed from the stuff flying around in their vehicle. So my, the way I look at it, when I'm doing best practice, I look at my vehicle and said, okay, I'm going to have a rollover today. How does my vehicle look? What do I need to throw a strap over it? And uh, especially when you got kids and all that stuff, think, think that mm -hmm. one next step, because it may not be your fault. Maybe somebody else hitting you or God forbid, you know? Look at, okay, if I have to roll over today, what do I not want flying around to hit me? And uh, get into load and lash principles. And how do you nice. commonly do that? Ratchet straps? Yeah, we do. Uh, so toolboxes uh, in the back of trucks that are bolted to the vehicle, not just sitting there. They need to be bolted down. Otherwise, you have a huge missile that's mm -hmm. just ready to go. Straps, netting. Uh, you can get some... Uh, pretty cheap netting, um, at, at auto stores, sportsmen's and all that. They, they carry netting that you can throw over things and load and lash down using seat bolts, uh, using the bottom of seats. However, they're attached. We've even gone and bought climbing anchors, um, for walls that, uh, you then thread a different bolt through the seat and now it becomes a, an attachment point for a carabiner. So you can utilize those places to keep things latched and lashed down and tight. Got it. Get serious. You, you don't want to come see my setup because uh, I obviously have, I, I've got a way to just kill my whole family riding around when I go. But <laughs> We're I, certainly I, all guilty of it. Yeah. Um, but I usually try to keep it between the mustard and the mayo, as they say. And I don't, I, I drive slower than faster anymore. And uh, yeah, but I will take a lot of these, uh, these tips and especially the stuff around safety and put it to use. This has been great. Um, yeah, absolutely. Anything else, Jordan or, or clay that you guys feel like we, we missed or and we want to cover off on. 
No, there's so much more stuff to dive into. We'll just have to have you back on. I'd love to. Yeah, I feel like we were very thorough today with the topic at hand. I feel great about it. Um, I would say we do have down here the why. Why? With After this whole podcast, why would you do this? And, um, and we wrote down here, these items and the knowledge of how to use them allow you to be the hero. Being prepared allows you to go further. You know, and it, that's it. You know, you can be the hero to someone else who's having a bad day. We all have bad days out there. Uh, you have the tools and uh, we as adventurers out there need to be prepared. And uh, this allows you, hopefully give you some steps to being more prepared out there. So, yeah, And I can tell you, uh, after being stuck like a kajillion times, every time I'm like, what I would give just to have the recovery boards or I should have bought that or whatnot like gosh it's it just really derails a weekend derails your entire trip when something just goes wrong that could have been preventable yep yeah and if you did have all the stuff and your your weekend goes wrong well then you were prepared for that you know it's not due to you it's due to other circumstances um that's that's where that's the kind of adventure mishap that i want is one i was prepared for but i couldn't overcome yeah, you, you, could, you could overcome it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do just to, to finish up. If you have the time, Clay, let's do a couple scenarios. Um, okay. and then just tell me how, how you would best to get out of here. Cause I, I almost got stuck, uh, turkey hunting a couple weeks ago. We went and hunted and it rained for three days straight. Wasn't like real crazy heavy, but just nonstop. And the roads where we're at, they're not quite, I wouldn't call them, you know, Missouri River breaks gumbo, but it, I mean, they were getting slick and boogery. And I mean, you know, all the adjectives for those types of roads where your tires yep. are just completely caked and filled. And it had dried out just enough. We, and I was like, well, we, we, we wanted just to drive the road a mile just to save us the hike of a mile. We were running out of time and it had gotten a little tacky. We're like, ah, oh, let's go and try it. Well, of course, you know, 90% of it's just fine. We come around this corner and there's a pretty big, we'll just look to be like a puddle. And I thought, oh, I'll just ease right through it. No big deal. Well, that corner happened to be extra clay, extra gumbo-y. And I got right to the middle of this puddle. And then all of a sudden, all four wheels just spinning. Now, I got lucky and just started doing the old drive, punch it, reverse, punch it, drive, punch it. And after, I don't know, 10 or 20 of those, I yep. somehow wiggled my way back out of there. Um, I really thought that I would that it did not seem as though I was going to make it because it was just so um, viscous, right? That that mud yep. and it just seemed like I was going deeper. And I was although I was throwing a lot of moisture and sort of this muddy soupy mess, it it wasn't really moving much. So let's just say I I get to the point where I I, I do that for ten minutes back and forth, back and forth. And it's just not moving. My tires are still spinning. I'm not high centered, but the this this whatever super viscous muddy mess is not allowing me to get out of this hole. What's uh, and we've got I've now I've, uh, I've gone and done done my shopping. I've got all this stuff in my truck. What's the, how would you get out of there? Great question. Uh, so we have this saying, you know, when in doubt, throttle out. You know, <laughs> yeah. that, that can be to your advantage as long as you're, if, 
you know, a thousand decisions are going to be made quickly in your head, whether that's the right decision. We're not going to war game that right now. You made that decision and because you still had traction and were able to get a little bit of momentum, you thought you could get out. Okay. But then there came a point in your story when you realized that you were stuck. When you realize you're stuck, stop. Because that's the least amount of stuck you're going to be at that very moment. So how oftentimes, oh, I'll just give it a try one more time. Now you're super stuck. Okay. <laughs> so as soon as you realize you're stuck, you're stuck. Now, a lot of guys and possibly gals have ego around getting stuck. The ego goes away. A lot of us around here, we don't have ego around being stuck anymore. It's just part of the scenario. So when you're stuck, you're stuck. Okay. I've identified that's where I am. Uh, And then the next thing is going to be what's going to get me my traction or my momentum next. The path of least resistance first, then determine if that's really the best. So more than likely your max tracks or recovery board uh, placed in the right spot because you're so close already is going to get you out of there the fastest. So placing those, getting it, getting the momentum back and maybe putting some of those boards in some of the spots that, you know, as you've accelerated, you kind of get into those muddy spots and you sink into things and you kill your momentum, throw your boards down in that. So that when your truck does get to it, it has newfound purchase and can continue to accelerate out. Kind of patch the road, so to speak. Yeah. So you might need a couple under the wheels to get going and then a couple out in the worst spots and give it a go. That would be my next choice. And with a four drive vehicle, assuming it's the hole is all things equal that you're stuck in and it's 12 inches of watery mud, you know, in the back and in the front as well. Would you go on the front wheels more than the back wheels or is it going to be sixes as to where you put those boards? Depends. Uh, More than likely when you got stuck, you probably had a sense of what tires were spinning. Um, unless you were running full lockers where your axles are locked through, you're going to have an idea of what my front driver side was spinning and my rear passenger side was spinning. That's where you're going to want to put your max tracks. Got it. Because those are the, all of your power through your four wheel drive system, through your transfer case and the diffs, the open diffs are being lost to the path of least resistance. So give them some resistance. Uh, and the other thing you can do is you could just set a little bit of e-brake pressure if you want, which applies a little bit of pressure to that one wheel that's spinning. If you don't have lockers, uh, you can apply even on older cars, the newer cars kind of override this now, but you could apply just slight amount of brake pressure and then accelerate through the brake pressure because it allows, um, the wheel to not want to so easily spin off. Hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a left foot, right foot brake technique that uh, just apply a little bit. And then you kind of massage it. You see where it works. And sometimes it's just enough to get you, get all four tires moving again. Nice. Yeah. And then looking at the weight of the vehicle. So if you have a pickup with nothing in the back, all of your weight's on that front axle over the engine. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're going you're gonna to have the most amount of traction uh, potentially there that, so your front tires might be pulling you out before your rear tires push you out. Got it. 
But for whatever reason, when you do chains, they always they say not usually not to put them on your front tires. Is that just because when you turn the tires, you, you're the chains are going to beat up your fenders, or what is the reasoning for not putting chains on front tires? Uh, yeah, because there, there's a lot of. Uh, so yeah, I put chains on my front tires. Oh, you do. It's a clearance issue. It's a I clearance think, with issue. some vehicles. Okay, especially the new modern cars that have that upper control mm-hmm. arm. Uh, there's a lot of clearance problems. Um, so you run a risk when you put chains on because now with the new modern vehicles, we have all these sensors that go into the, the wheel sensors and the anti-lock brakes and all kinds of stuff go the speed sensors sometimes. Um, just know that if you put chains on and it all goes wrong, you might be dis disabling and breaking those things that you'll have to repair later. Um, the rear typically has more clearance in the wheel wells and less going on that a chain is safer to put there. But uh, yeah, in a muddy situation, the, the only thing is, is if you only have chains on the rear and not on the front, uh, steering can become a major problem. Right. Because you can push, but you can't steer. It can't pull you through the corner. You're mm-hmm. essentially relying on your front tires to become kind of skis in a way. And yeah, it's more of a suggestion. Versus if it also has chains on it, it'll steer by pulling through the corner. Sure, sure. Um, all right, uh, another scenario. We, you got us out of the mud hole. This one, I think, is very common to, to haunters. It's getting to be, in, it's in November. Roads have gotten frozen, thawed, frozen, thawed. But it's early in the morning, so it's frozen from the night. And you're going along some forest service road, or maybe it's just a dirt road on a ranch or whatever. And it's not quite, the road is not, um, you know, horizontal anymore. It's got a little pitch to it off, you know, going downhill. You're cruising along in dry conditions. It's fine because you got plenty of grip, but the snow is set up so that it's, it's getting a little bit slick and you get to a spot and all of a sudden you start to get that slide and you go, and it's almost like your rule about like once you're stuck, just don't make yourself any more stuck. You realize that going forward anymore, you're just going to start slipping. And pretty soon you're going to have two wheels actually off this road and on the hill. And, and, and then you're in real trouble. So you sort of, you're not stuck yet. You've put it in park, but you're in a precarious spot, right? Like you're really close to losing two wheels. If you go forward you don't feel comfortable just like backing out of there. What what's the play there? Ooh. Um, there's an old ranch technique, an old backcountry road technique where you you can self sand the road. So you get your shovel out and you go to the dirt hill next to it. You're all mm. parked out and you di- start digging into the hill, and you start sanding that hill, that corner, with the the material that you're able to extract. Um, if you're going to, so your shovel's coming in big time right there. Yeah. Uh, that's going to help. That's one of the, uh, ingredients to a cocktail that we'll make here. Um, next recovery boards, if they have the proper spikes below them, they can dig pretty well. And you could, you could inch your way across something like that using a recovery board because they have their own like spikes underneath them that, uh, dig pretty good. Um, we have used, depending on the, ex- in this case, 
you may be able to take a, hmm, I don't know if I'd recommend that. You really, you can get into some really techie things like, you know, tying a toe strap off to a tree up high or whatever, and not letting your truck slide any lower and, and use the, the strap to, as a pivot point, things mm-hmm. like that, just to assist from, uh, there's, there's things like that. Um, I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a tricky one. Uh, I don't know if airing down necessarily would help in this situation. Just depends on the surface. Uh, you may want that, um, traction from a lot of pressure, more pressure per square inch versus spreading the pressure. Yep. Just depends on what you kind of read the road as. Um, I would sand it first. Really it comes down to that. Um, I feel like chains would help. In chains, that if you've got chains would resolve this issue. You may slip mm-hmm. a little bit, have a little bit of the, you know, because the chains are never a consistent contact patch. They, you know, you roll over a chain, then it's smooth, then it'll roll over a chain. You would just gather your momentum and drive through it. You wouldn't really go slow. You would kind of get after it and get out at that, at that point. Um, definitely, if you have lockers in the vehicle, disengage lockers. Oh. Um, yeah, because it'll... If one, if they both spin, uh, then they can both break traction at once and then it becomes a sled. So on an off cambered situation where the road is turning, say it's turning to the right, but the the road leans to the right as well, that it it doesn't, that's called off camber. Uh, lockers are bad in that situation. Disengage your lockers because you want. Is that basically your traction control? Uh, traction control, uh, depends on the vehicle that you're running, but it, it is managed through your ABS system, your braking system. And it, it is managed essentially by a pump that pulses the anti-lock brakes that allows a wheel to not slip. Um, mm. as it starts to slip, it just breaks it momentarily. It's like, bup, 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 bup. it just with electric pulses and they work amazingly well. Traction control would be a good option in this, at this time because over lockers because lockers are mechanically locked. There's no forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Traction control functions would um, manage it better in this case. But most traction control is a good option. M- most people, more, or most newer trucks, they don't even come with the option to lock your diffs anymore, right? I mean, it's that's kind of few and far between. Am I correct? That's it's coming back. Oh, uh, it a is. lot more have them. So. The, cool. All the new Tundras in the TRD off-road uh, format, the new Trail Hunter coming out has that. Um, the Denali's have that in their AT4. Uh, the Colorados have front and rear lockers now in, in some of their upfit options. So a lot of the Fords, the Broncos do. So the, they have really made a comeback in more modern vehicles. There's kind of a gap in there from, say, like 2000 to... I don't know, 2017, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of manufacturers, even 1819 weren't putting lockers in there, but with the rise of off-road and overlanding, the demand for lockers and the consumer base has been risen so much that mm-hmm. it's now a great selling point. So a lot of these vehicles have them now in the right package or the right grade. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're there, but the traction control that many more cars have, is remarkably uh, efficient and effective. 
Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we're probably getting pretty close to the end of our time. Anything you want to pitch in, Yanni? No, I'm good. I got way too much to think about now. Um, I know. Me too. <clears throat> I got a list going here. Thanks, Clay. I appreciate it, man. Let's uh, let's get together and do it again, and just we'll we'll talk. Uh, just going car camping and uh, all the actual camping gear uh, out, outside of the uh, the truck gear. Does that sound like a good, That'd be yeah. awesome. good plan yeah. for the next one? Sure. Cool. Yeah, and just like always, anybody has any questions on this, shoot us an email, uh, geartalkatthemeateater.com, and we can tackle them in a future episode or get notes going for your future episode. Thanks for listening. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.